Welcome to Talking in Stations. I am Matterall here. It is the 27th of April, I believe. And uh, I want to thank you guys for watching this video. It's going to be a long video, I think. What I may end up doing is breaking this in two. And the reason for that is and we're going to be listening in on the town halls and the firesides that happened this weekend, this last weekend, because there has been a pivotal shift in the war. So this episode is about the war. It's about battle plans, messaging, and some behind the scenes stuff that's going on um, that we'll try to talk about. We may not be accurate in it, so it's uh, unsafe territory, but we'll do our best to analyze what they're saying, how they're saying it, and what do they really mean. Okay, so we'll get started with... So what I've done is I've taken this stuff off the internet in case it gets just deleted. I wanted to have it. And then I bookmarked uh, what I could of it to kind of break it into fragments. And so what we're looking at here is the audio tracks for a few uh, different things. Let's see. The first one is um, Gobbin's uh, Fireside, since that seems to be what sets a lot of things in motion. So I'll give you the TLDR um as of today which is like about three or four days after the weekend uh gobbins comes out and does this town hall that we're going to listen to and in it he basically says i know you're all here to listen to one dq and talk about what's going to happen now because the last keep star is falling and so it's all about one dq constellation now and once we take on the constellation after we do that we're going to take one dq and that's probably what you want to hear about let me just tell you it's not going to be a rush and a push with everything we've got. That's uh, if you're looking for that, you're going to be disappointed. So this came out on Saturday morning. It was listened to by uh, people in the Imperium before the Meta Show. So we'll look at the Meta Show too. Normally we don't, but since it's kind of part of the rhetoric, we're going to put it in there. And the Meta Show basically talked about how uh, uh, Gobbins had uh, was. Uh, basically chicken and uh, there's a lot of like toxic masculinity on that show unfortunately but they're basically calling them cowards and so there's a lot of heated rhetoric in that sense but they also give some clues on to other things and then uh, I think Dunk Dinkle has his Braves not a soda not a state of the alliance and he goes on to talk about some things going on with his group Brave and also uh, talks a little bit about the war. So we'll look at that too, since that plays into this. And that was also on Saturday. So you have those three things happening on Saturday. Uh, actually, I think there was a fourth. And that is uh, the Legacy uh, Coalition had their, or Test Alliance had their um, town hall as well. Pro God Legend did a lot of talking there. And we'll look into that. And that's a different tone. He talks a lot in terms of oh yeah, we're bringing out our Titans and we're going to massacre our opponents. And so there's a lot of that bravado that comes out from him. Uh, so what then happens, so then on Sunday there is a fireside chat and that was, as uh, the Matani, the leader of the Imperium will say, we moved our fireside from Saturday to Sunday so that he could see what other people said and then he could respond to it instead of the other way around i think that's what he says and we'll see because it's in the audio and so in that fireside that actually happened sunday he is even angrier it appears uh, there's actually a comical moment where the first question after he's finished dialoguing <laughs> is how, how could it how could it be that you're angrier today than you were saturday 
And I thought that was kind of funny. We'll look into that. I think I might have an answer. And um, he ends up um, talking in very strong terms. Uh, much of what was said in the meta show is also said in the fireside, which is uh, the, the Pappy are, uh, again, some toxic masculinity kind of stuff. Small ball, dick on the table, blah, 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 blah. And essentially teasing them into uh, trying to act brashly and rushing in. Because as we know from everybody that watches this show, if you um, have been with us this entire time, you know that the strategy is now uh, to take the 1DQ constellation, which is the last stand, 1DQ system is the last stand of the Imperium. It's a very strong stand with a lot of power in it. Can it resist all this pressure coming from Pappy? That is where the war is at now. This is the messaging that pivots us into that. Okay, let's get started with, uh, and I'll take your questions. We're going to do this in a casual way. So I'll be looking at your questions uh, and I'll be interrupting the dialogue to uh, uh, the recording to, to uh, chime in and uh, point some things out. But let's get started here. This is Gobbin's Town Hall on Saturday. The goal, as you can see, is uh, made of two distinct objectives. First is to clear the systems, last systems in that constellation around 1DQ. And then there's the assault on 1DQ itself. And the importance of this distinction is because I feel uh, there's a lot of expectation about a big frontal assault on 1DQ coming up with some kind of big fight at the gate. And that is unlikely to happen until those other systems have been rid of. And the way we fight over those other systems, I think is going to look a lot more like the rest of the guerrilla warfare with which we have broken the other IOPs slowly. Uh, first in Fountain, then in Quarius, then in Delve. Some kind of uh, massive epic charge. Uh, so I think the thing important to consider is the pace of what is coming next. If somebody is expecting that this is going to be a quick and uh, a high sort of activity, large numbers, massive fight, I believe you'll be uh, disappointed in your expectation. Now about the strategic challenges of uh, taking on this last constellation, I believe as far as systems around 1DQ goes, strategic approach is very... Let's stop there. We want to point out that is a very important moment. This will get referred to over and over and over again, that he begins by saying, if you're looking for a big, big fight, you're probably going to be disappointed. And that will get talked about in various ways later on, and there'll be clarifications and such. Similar to what we've already done everywhere else in Delve. So here's the strategy. It's I up to break under Sinojammers, their strong uh, enemy presence and I ADMs. But ultimately, one of the reasons why the attacker can eventually win as long as enough pressure is maintained is that the attacker only has to win once, right? You kill the I up once, and then the Sinojammer is broken. And if you already had enough momentum and strength to break the I up, you'll probably be able to keep the I up. And as you, you can see for the rest of Delve, once you can synergize the system, you can do whatever you want in that system. You can do whatever keep stars, whatever defenses exist there. Um, having said that, as far as how long this will take, uh, I think the answer depends on uh, when 
the sort of uh, momentum and the um, um, the resistance from goons start to wane, like elsewhere in Dell, when finally there's just this one up where they're overwhelmed, overwhelmed, and then uh, the Aya breaks. And generally speaking, it's made of a lot of Sinogem harassment, a lot of harassment of the fleets running the ADMs, a lot of uh, a daily sort of grind until eventually you get the tie-up. So this, I would say in a nutshell, is what the war is going to look like as far as systems around 1DQ goes. And there you have it. The idea is to move in slowly and to whittle things around. Uh, and there'll be other uh, details about what the strategy actually is, but he just put it there in a nutshell. It's to take those uh, iHubs one at a time, take the constellation first, take the, uh, the, the city capital uh, afterwards. And uh, as far as other detail, essentially expect any small fleets, a lot of harassment, a lot of uh, very important bomber activity, and constant poking at the Sinojammers, hostile Sinojammers throughout time zones, plus harassing the fleets that need to maintain um, ADMs. Um, then there is 1DQ itself. I think by then we'll probably have another tunnel and we can go in more detail. I know people um, to have more information about strategically what really an assault on 1DQ would look like. So to summarise it, uh, the so main um, extra challenges for 1DQ are one, that is a faction Fortizar next to the IAB. You normally cannot anchor faction Fortizar that close, but it's a grandfather structure that has been there since before, uh, I believe, before the stations changed into citadels. And then the other thing is because it's... Um, uh, staging system of uh, all of the Imperium, then there's going to be a ton of assets right in 1DQ, a ton of goons already in 1DQ. Don't know how much that part plays into the favor of the defenders. I guess that's something we'll, we'll find out. <clears throat> uh, but definitely the IAB is, uh, the, the fact that there's faction fort on the IAB makes a big difference. So when we get to that stage, We'll take a look at that. He's explaining something very important that we, uh, I'll try to bring that up right now. Let me go to a different window so you could see that. There is a iHub. Just one second while I grab that for you. Uh, there's an iHub that's actually been placed right near a structure. Uh, it's a, a faction Fortizar that was there before. So it somehow got grandfathered in. You're not supposed to put structures that close to, um, here's, here's a view of it. We'll get that opened up. Uh, let me just move that to the right. Yeah, here we go. Sorry, I thought I had that one up, but there you can see what he's talking about. We'll hold that up uh, as we continue to listen. Uh, but I, I just want to point this out for understanding's sake that that, that uh, station there uh, that um, is very close to the iHub, which essentially creates all kinds of great defensive opportunities for the Imperium. The iHub is necessary to take 1DQ. If you don't take the iHub, uh, you're going to have a hard time taking the system uh, because of jamming considerations and jump bridges, whatever, all kinds of other considerations. And so to have a structure that close allows you to do a lot of uh, good defensive work around that iHub that you couldn't do. So let's see what he has to say about that. The Masbels 
Yeah, I'll go here. So when we get to that stage, I would assume that the initial approach would be similar with the, uh, you know, the harassment until the cyanogemers start to be reliably down, and then you start to get some asbels up and running, some friendly citadels that you can gather at. Then you start to make place for the IOPS. In this case, perhaps play for the affection forts first. Um, let me think if I went over all the very basics of what this part the action will look like. Yeah, I think so. I can take some initial questions <clears throat> about this part, just very specific the 1DQ consolation part. Uh, Ilian, do you see any questions? Otherwise, I'm going to read real quick. Um, the main thing that seems related to the 1DQ is consolation. Like the taking of this is people are asking if we expect to see a big super fight going down at all. Okay, so they ask about the super fight. We'll get into that in just a second. I want to just answer some questions here from you guys. And I see uh, Hirebrand says, Matterall, can you explain why it is important? He's referring to the proximity of the Faction Fortizar near the iHub and the importance of sky netting. And uh, I'll do my best. The Hold on a second. Let me grab that other. There we go. I believe skynetting, I, I think skynetting, the way I used to know it was uh, if you were in a pause and you had a carrier uh, just outside of the pause, you could project the fighters. You could command the fighters to go fight and follow somebody else. So you would have a small ship followed by fighters from a carrier that's sitting safely behind very, very far away. And it used to be that you could do that all over the system. And so you had very fast moving uh, frigates accompanied by a group of fighters and you could just annihilate NPCs. Well, that got nerfed after a long time. That was skynetting as we used to know it. Skynetting in this situation, I think this is what he's referring to, is how a lot of structures are destroyed these days. You basically create structures around the structure that you're targeting and uh, that is where your carriers will sit and be tethered and be safe with. And then they project their fighters onto the targeted structure and start to destroy it. If you've ever seen a fight uh, in EVE Online covered live, you will see a swarm uh, that is just looks like a cloud moving towards the structure. And then it circles the structure and starts to destroy it. And what that is is fighters that were deployed to go and destroy something while the ships that deployed those fighters sit very close to something like this, a structure, uh, a faction Fortizar. And if anything goes wrong, like they're being attacked or jumped, they basically call back their fighters and they dock up or they uh, will tether up and be safe. So that's what Skynetting is here. And what he's saying is that this faction Fortizar allows tons of carriers to sit on it, maybe even super carriers, and project their fighters into this area to defend that uh, iHub, which is incredibly beneficial. Okay, we're getting back into uh, Gobbins asked his first question, which is, what about this big fight? Why aren't we going head on? And what you'll hear him say is, well, it doesn't work that way. You don't just say, we're going to take our Titans and fight head on. That's just bravado. He says the reality is that nobody fights that way. What happens is that somebody slips up or something happens. It's a miscalculation and both sides feel they can still win. And they both jump in and tie each other up in a gigantic colossal fight. That is what happened in M2. And he says that's how you may see a Titan fight, but it won't be planned. 
at any point? The short answer is no, if you ask me. But it's important to remember that super fights often happen not because somebody in them. Because I think at the strategic level, it were up to, say, the people like me and the people like me on the side of goons, we both agree that a super fight should happen. You almost never have both sides sort of coming to the conclusion that, yeah, we should definitely take a super fight here. What has happened in this war is that most of the fights in which a bunch of supers died and a bunch of supers fought are either the case of MPU, where we were supposed to go in with Sinojammers, and it wasn't the most important Keepstar, as you know, but then Sinojammer forced early on, partly because of our sloppiness, and then we decided to go in anyways, and then Gun started jumping some supers, uh, but in tether, you know, kind of like testing the waters. And then we uh, followed up with our own supers. And so what I'm saying here is that if you had asked me, do you expect a super fight over M2? I would have also said no, then a super fight happened. So uh, the answer is that those kind of things are very unpredictable and really depend on DFCs at the moment and what's happening. And uh, often also how bored people are if there's a lot of uh, pent up, how do you say, uh, sort of appetite for using supers. They haven't been used in a while. It looks like the enemies week or whatever and then it's like yeah let's drop supers here and then that's how you get the super fights or another example during this war i think earlier on was when uh, uh, asher was trying to set up his trap and then we got a few skirmishes supers in uh, i think it was in Aquarius, right and uh, we traded a few supers and then they sort of retethered or bailed that also is not something where one would have expected before and you see a big super fight uh, Gobbins is actually wrong there. It wasn't in Quarius. It was in Delve. Uh, that was YZ9, I believe. I've been wrong about that, but it is YZ9, I'm pretty sure. And that is uh, what he's talking about there with Asher. That is the FC for Goon Swarm. He set up what was a boson trap. And so he was, Asher was allowing the, the escalation to continue. He didn't retreat from the escalation because he had a trap that he wanted to spring. And that did lead to a huge exchange of... Uh, dreads and motherships or uh, super carriers and even titans that he uh, trapped with, or actually they got trapped and destroyed, but that was like 20 titans destroyed there. The point is that was on purpose, but it was a stealth move. It wasn't an outright uh, head-on collision. Um, specifically, if you were to think about the final assault on 1DQ Keepstar type thing, I would doubt that there would be supers being dropped on, especially since we know that the server conditions are not reliable and that if something goes wrong, you get basically nothing, uh, no no compensation or any kind of CCP trying to fix things. Totally so much they can do. So yeah, that would be my, my short answer. Strategically speaking, I don't see it, but the reality of the war is that they often super fight can happen spark out of anywhere unpredictably okay so we're moving on to uh Ilian, did you identify any other questions otherwise obviously scanning one here. question that was coming up was people asking if ccp has committed to anything regarding server stability after the slight disaster that was the second m2 timer they can't it's as simple as that if they could create servers or any kind of uh, um, environment in which can guarantee a fight of size, they would. 
we tried to ask them if other changes could be made where it's not about improving the hardware, but perhaps a ship's load or giving the attackers a way to load safely. And we've had some CSMs discussions about that. Uh, I would say it didn't really go anywhere in the sense of, the, of making new mechanics. First of all, changing it now during the war uh, will be very partisan one way or the other. It's very hard to design. Let's say that you wanted the attacker to be able to load their titans in range of the Keepstar while being safe tethered. You would need some kind of uh, some kind of deployable or whatever that lets you tether in space outside of a hostile Keepstar at any time and that is invulnerable for hours, several hours. Otherwise, you know, the, just the trying to figure out the technical approach to this, it's, it's very tricky and uh, almost impossible to, to balance at this stage of the war. What they did, what they were um, helpful and cooperative with was reinforcements of nodes. So particular with M2, we kind of fought with them a little bit to get the M2 node permanently reinforced. And, uh, you know, to their credit, they kept the M2 node permanently reinforced for as long as uh, until we uh, extracted. And also um, when there was problems with uh, reinforcement, I don't know if you remember, there was one attempt in 1DQ where we- This is interesting. With a remap that the T5Z and some of the systems outside 1DQ on the same node, uh, and it was a fight over Samaya, uh, or was it? Anyway, so I remember we were fighting with in Taida uh, in the 1DQ constellation, and we had a problem that our reship was affected by the same lag, but 1DQ wasn't. And Okay, so what he's talking about is a situation where there was lag for their guys, but there wasn't lag for Imperium guys. And he'll explain why that happened and how tricky it is uh, to get the node situation right. And the nodes are the servers that the game is played on. And when you play in a game with this many people, that's a consideration to the generals that are going into battle. How is the space weather? How are those servers? How healthy are they? Can I rely on them not to melt down and um, kick everybody out of the game? Another example where they were quite cooperative, they came, they explained to us why this happened. They explained it was because somebody requested T5Z to be put on a reinforced node, but T5Z and 1DQ are permanently already on reinforced. So the problem is if you read them twice, as well as requesting other reinforced, based on the no extra node availability that they used to remap, might end up with T5Z remapped on the same node as the ones you're fighting in. I want to point out that uh, asking for a node to be reinforced is something that happens automatically, I believe. You request it, and uh, I, th I think an FC can request a node being reinforced if there's going to be a big set-piece battle. And I believe it's automatic. I'm not sure it's human eyes that look at it and say, okay, let's reinforce it. Um, so it's an automatic process uh, be because it can happen at any time during the day, right? It can happen when everybody's asleep in, in Reykjavik. They don't have 24-hour people on the server, I think. I'm not sure. Um, but I, I did hear that it was an automatic process. So when an FC requested uh, that their system be reinforced, it was already reinforced, so they just doubled up the reinforcement on the node, and that caused more lag. Something like that is what he's just explained. So uh, they explained this to us. We sent a ping so that the FCs don't mistakenly um, double reinforce the node, which is 
uh, a negative in this case. And yeah, what I'm trying to say here is that uh, CCP has been cooperative in, in the things they can do, which is, I guess, assignment of nodes. But otherwise, there really isn't so much more they can do regarding guaranteeing a stable server. And while we're on the topic, besides the obvious, you know, kind of catastrophic server outcome, which is one of the two parties don't get play at all, like, of course, okay, you can't load, you can't do anything, which is, I would say, rare. We've only seen it once and only with uh, extreme and insane numbers. The There's another one that is, I think, a little more common and more concerning to me in some of these cases, which so he says, like, as we've seen in the past, the M2 was a complete disaster for the hull timer. It was a fantastic, amazing battle for the armor timer. So everybody participated in the armor timer, and it was a great fight, roughly a tie. Uh, I think uh, Imperium edged out a little bit with three or four more Titan kills, uh, but they were on the defensive part, so they could tether, so it was a different rhythm for them. So that was still makes it kind of a tie. Uh, so that was the armor timer, but when M2, the hull timer, the final timer happened, uh, there was a big gamble. Pappy moved in and the whole server, uh, couldn't manage the amount of players that were wanting to get into that server. It melted down and created incredible anomalies, but it was a turkey shoot after that. Imper Pappy lost a ton of Titans. Um, they got some of them back, but uh, the damage was done and certainly it was a cautionary tale. But what he goes on to say is, and we've only ever seen that once, but what he goes on to say is there's another situation where server la server problems can affect the attacker negatively. And here he goes on to explain what happened in Fountain. Which is when the node crashes uh, during a keep start timer, right? If there are more timer or final timer. If you guys remember, we had that in Fountain. And that's a, a big problem to deal with because if he doesn't do anything about it, uh, for all intents and purposes, you lose the timer. And those uh, keepstar grinds, especially when it's subcaps versus keepstars and subcaps and a mix of maybe fighters, they're they're really long grind. They really take a lot from the people in terms of uh, time and also isk. It's very demoralizing. Suddenly, you have the server crash and your work is reset back to zero, even though you were winning. And I remember when it happened in Found, people were pretty upset, and uh, I think it happened again in another one of these fights over the citadels where we had uh, a ton of dudes. And that's really hard to predict. It's really not clear. Like sometimes it crashes, even though it sounds like there's less people in local and less stuff going on than other fights. Some people say, "Oh, it's because some smart bomb went off," but uh, there's AOE effects in all of these fights. So very hard to predict and uh, devastating effects. So, well, on the subject of server performance, that's the other thing we need to be concerned about. Mm. Uh, he's going to go and talk about something else, but I just want to reinforce that this happened in Fountain where a Keepstar was about to be destroyed, but the server crashed, which reset everybody. Now, when a server crashes and it comes back online, the Keepstar starts repairing in real time while everybody else has to log in and in tie-dye and try to get back to where they were and try to apply damage. So in Fountain, we saw, a, I think it was a Keepstar that had like... um five minutes or so on it or six minutes i forget but uh by the time it crashed and came back online that thing went into repair and was invulnerable and saved and you almost saw that with keepstar fights when imperium was pushing back on the uh 
Keepstars that were being planted in NPC Delve, there was there were a lot of times where the clock would start slipping, and of course uh, there was always concern that the um, I said what's it there was always concern that a server crash would allow uh, whoever was defending their structure the uh, to walk right into the finish line without any contesting over it. So it's always a risk to do all that work to be winning a battle and then to have it slip away because the server crashed. Yeah, and all in all, I think as far as server goes, the more, the lower the numbers go for both sides and the further we move from that uh, critical level where the server is unplayable. So in that sense, the kind of uh, reopening with the summer, with the vaccine, with everything, plays a little bit in favor of uh, a more manageable server. But that would be my long answer he's to, talking to about... the state of the server now it's taken into account. Yeah, he's talking about um, because uh, because more people will probably be going out since uh, COVID is being dealt with a bit better, at least in the United States and possibly in Europe, That and summer is here, that people may actually not show up so much to fight inside of EVE Online, and that will mean less people fighting, which is easier on the servers. Okay, next he goes into doctrines. I wanted to play this because he starts talking about uh, battleships and how they look, and he's going to talk about industry later, but he's he's talking a little bit about doctrines. It's kind of interesting here. Then we'll skip over and go back to a report on legacy space and uh, and talk a little bit more about uh, server issues. Um, and at this point, it's asking, do we have any specific plans on like doctrines we want to use to um, take one EQ? Like, do we plan to introduce a new doctrine for it? Do we plan to make changes to our current stuff? Uh, we got a, a rock doctrine in the works. We've been building rocks. It's nothing to be super excited about. It's just the rocks that everybody else is using. Caldari Battleship. Um, maybe the more interesting to talk about is uh, some of the ideas on how to keep sourcing the materials needed to pump out a ton of battleships. Uh, battleships are pretty nice. Uh, now with some of the recent changes, uh, the, um, uh, the formation thing helps a lot with moving them around without being as vulnerable to AOE. And the new, um, what's it called, the, spectrum, the new Spectrum Breaker rework, where you have sort of a small ADC against large guns, dreads, and carriers, because your SIG becomes really tiny. That's also nice to have as an extra four uh, battleships. So I don't have anything to announce specifically yet, and I don't know when we'll start using them, because I think in the beginning, the fighting over the systems around when they see much battleship use, that's up to DFCs. I expect more, a lot of the small stuff and a lot of munins still. Um, I guess on the subject of doctrines, I'm also looking forward to using the Edencom Frigis more. It wasn't clear in the end that they are in a real fight. When we started using them, guns were already sort of on the back foot. So uh, when we formed them big. Uh, what he's talking about, I think, are the Skybreakers or the frigates from Edencom. They're just these electrical little lightning bugs, I guess. And uh, when you get enough of them involved and you send out an FC, the FC becomes the conductor. So everybody aims at the FC. They blast it with this electrical blast and anything around that FC will catch a residual a lightning strike, essentially, and explode. And they were able to use this a couple times, I think, in a battle where uh, Del uh, in the northern part of um, Delve, 
It's called Helm's Deep. Uh, when they broke through that day, they tried these Incom frigates uh, with some success because it eviscerated, I believe, uh, a big fleet of uh, interceptors and a small fleet of interceptors too. So what he's saying here is we don't know if that's effective because uh, the Imperium at the time was already kind of on the back foot. So we don't really know if this is a good doctrine that is effective, but it was a heck of an interesting doctrine to watch. I actually watched it live and tried not to get zapped. They, we basically didn't get a fight. It worked well for stopping interceptors and stuff like that. Curious if maybe this will be our chance to use them against uh, an actual fleet. I'm scrolling. I see a few questions, like very specific questions, like whether keep stars on the same grid can defend each other. The answer is no. They're out of range of each other, but the distance which you can anchor them. Uh, uh, this is interesting. He goes into tether play, which I think is interesting to understand. Or it's important to understand what's going to happen next as people fight on the same grid, tethered up uh, on structure. So here we go. This will be interest. This will be important later. You can scan it from one citadel to another. Another one asking if we get a fort up, if we can use the big ship there. Uh, yeah, for sure. I I see any kind of tether play will be used heavily by both sides. Anytime you can get a a citadel up. Uh, the M2 model shows you that when we were able to anchor those first asbels on the M2 IAB, that helped a lot taking control of uh, the IAB and eventually reinforcing it. All right, thanks. I just wanted to point out, um, he just talked about Skynet again, and we explained what that was earlier. And uh, you have tether play when there are two structures on um, on a field that both have uh, people who are fighting. So you may see a lot of tether play where they hover around there structure and um, uh, send out the, the drones and the fighters. So he's going to go on to talk about server stability again. This is worth listening to as well. Somebody asking if CCP will fix the game. Um, I think they're doing their best to improve the game mechanics-wise. And at the technical level, whatever new technology is available, I'm pretty sure they're trying to invest into it they're interested you know that does um what was the name of that company that had these tests with massive numbers of players Idiot. uh they're Idiot. yeah thank you that you know they're always looking for new possible solutions but if you expect something magical to happen in the next six months where suddenly the server makes those giant battles uh very smooth i don't think that's gonna happen uh Somebody asking about the uh, churn of SRP. Uh, mostly that's, um, I can talk to Calbra about it. That's about the, the manual, that's about the, the manual sending out of the ISK. Uh, if there's a lot of fighting, very active, uh, huge fleets being churned, I think Calbra has been taking it upon himself to try and uh, do oh, the SRP immediately, about, uh, whereas when it's slower, so we'll skip this. Uh, your doctrines again. And here he's going to talk about... Uh, uh, one concern I've seen quite a few times is people asking, uh, what can we do if goons decide to just log in like five, 6,000 people every time we try to engage in 1DQ and preventing us from entering the system at any reasonable rate? If that is an fine. issue at all? Yeah, that's fine. That's the whole... Uh, let me see how to best answer this. Basically, the answer is we only have to win once. If there's an impossibility to get into system, then we'll get into system the next time. Every 
Well, this is something, okay, so the question, as you've heard, is uh, is what if Goon Swarm overloads the node by logging everybody in? They have thousands of people, so that would overload the node, and they could constantly defend their territory without even fighting. I call it too big to fail. Caleb refers to it as the end game because uh, if the Imperium did that, they'd essentially sit on the server and not allow it to play. And at that point, there is no victory condition that Pappy can win. So he thinks it'll never, ever happen. Uh, the victory will never, ever happen because uh, Goonswarm can do that. So the answer to that, that I've heard from Pappy, not just Gobbins here, but most uh, from Vili, from uh, anybody who describes it from their leadership point of view is, we only have to win once. They have to show up every time and win every time. So he's saying there's going to be, over time, a decay of participation from Imperium. There has to be because of real life. And, uh, and and so that's why that's why this point is important. But he'll talk about them only having to win once. You will hear that from Pappy's leadership. That's their narrative. Every step of the way in this war, when we went through some kind of choke point, whether it was breaking the first system in Fountain or whether it was getting the first Keepstar anchored in NPC Delve or breaking the first systems in Delve or breaking M2, the first attempts were always met with overwhelming goon response because they kind of have this uh, pattern of getting everybody really amped up for, oh, it's coming, it's coming. And then they will form massively the first time, absolutely massively. And then again, they will have a ton of, uh, ton of dudes the second time, maybe the third time. But then every single time we did this, their numbers start to taper off. And eventually, like I said, you only need to break that tie up once. You need to get that keepstar. Uh, you only need to get that keepstar anchored once, and so progress comes afterwards. So that's the simple answer. If they have six thousand people and the node is unplayable, I doubt that leads to to a fight. I doubt we'll be again in any situation where we have to take the fight because a bunch of supers were locked off, and so we have to uh, to sort of get the second stage of the fight on. And then that's it. Simple as that. Uh, if they can keep the 6,000 up forever, then they'll be able to protect the system forever. And if they don't, then either, you know, the Ayab will fall, the Sinogemers first will fall, and then an Asbel pops up, and eventually the system will be done with. Um, let me see. There have been questions about how the industry fa uh, changes will affect our strategy. Uh he actually won't talk about industry there. He ends up uh, diverting to talking about actives and how many active players there are. Um, but, uh, well, we'll play through that. And uh, again, over the weekend, there were numbers put out. We showed them yesterday. I'll get them back up on screen while he talks about this part. And that is uh, people are getting tired and not showing up to fight on both sides. What's that mean? And I think he addresses it here. Yeah, so I have a different section for the industry, so we can go over that. Um, yes, we can go over that next. Uh, as far as uh, good numbers, um, so the question is about uh, exactly gauging the the numbers from the other side. I think today on Reddit there was two different people that posted a graph of the uh, actives, uh, Zkill actives, or some other analysis. <clears throat> And it shows that, uh, as expected, everybody's numbers have been going down. 
I think the gap between Papi numbers and GUN numbers uh, as is larger according to the graph than it was before in the terms of uh, um, their numbers have been going down faster. But truth to be told, those graphs can be a little misleading because we get to use our supers, which means extra characters in those graphs. Well, done, so it's hard to say. I do expect that anytime there is a massive timer, where it, whether it's, I don't know, here it comes, it's, it's the big fight for 1DQ, etc., and that the I think that a ton of goons will come that otherwise would never be around for fleets. So I think that for the everyday fleets, I expect what we've seen so far, which is the first day, there's a ton of them, and then a little less of them, and then eventually you get only the hardcore guys, and uh, that's when it seems that our numbers really overwhelm them. Um, yeah, we can move on to the next topic, uh, but let me just scroll the questions real quick. Now, this One is a question silly was whether question you here. would accept the surrender from Mitani himself. I, I don't think he's ever going to do anything like that. I doubt that. Has he ever, has Goon ever done anything like that? And has Mitani ever done anything like that? I highly doubt it. Um, somebody just linked a said graph in from Reddit in my PMs. I will post it in the Town Hall channel. That's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Players. I, I don't think there's any other questions about this. Uh, somebody asking if CCP guarantees super SRP. That's no. CCP does not. All right. So that's um, another throwaway question. But there's also he goes into Delvin Legacy. I'll play just a little bit of this. Um, actually, just a little bit. Then I'm going to show you the TLDR. I'll go about the industry next. But real quick, let's get this out of the way. I want to talk about the, the map situation and what's going on just so people can be caught up. And this can be done very quickly. I posted this picture first, but the, if you didn't open it then, can open it again. Uh, if you're not following very closely what's going on, wise, you may have this general notion that, yeah, we're making progress around Delve, uh, but... Uh, the Imperium is also making progress in legacy space. So exactly what's the situation? How many regions have been lost by legacy and how secure is the area around Delve? All right, so if you open this map, uh, past, like say, um, uh, left-hand side of this red line is space that is secured under test legacy control or pub control or wherever you want to put it. And you can see that we've cleared Fountain. Fountain is uh, mostly a... Uh, Federation Uprising and some other uh, smaller entities from Legacy, and then a couple neutral entities like uh, Losegnaya. Uh, the IABs from the Imperium have been removed from the region. I think there might be one Ranger Regiment IAB left, but basically they're gone. And as far as glassing goes, we removed all structures bigger than an Astra, so no forts left, uh, nothing that can dock an hostile capital. So Phantom is pretty much cleared. You have Quarius. Quarius has been, so moving down on the map, you see the yellow blob here that says Brave Collective Quarius. Uh, Brave and some other alliances have installed themselves in Quarius. Quarius is cleared and well under control for a while now. Um, I asked Dunk what's the situation with their economy and whether Dunk they were able to get the industry back and going again in Quarius, and especially, for example, if their moons were chunking again and productive. And uh, he confirmed that. So I think Brave is in a, a pretty good spot now only in terms of uh, you know the health of the alliance but also getting that production back up and rolling getting those uh, those moons and harvesting back up rolling delve you're probably more familiar with delve because we've been fighting in it 
now for a long time that uh, the region has been cleared of enemy uh, keepstars outside 1DQ. There's one left that's been reinforced and is going to die in a couple of days, in a few days. It already happened. Otherwise, I believe there's just the two SOT left, which are in final timer, and 1140 ZARS. And that's it as far as large structures in Delve. Everything else is, uh, is small structures. Uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's a lot of recycling that has been done in this region and uh, um, also as Philly the moon situation whether uh, for test that they were able to get back into the swing of things and producing and the moons have been anchored and chunking in Delft so that should be using nice goo soon as well and lastly uh, if you keep going uh, down and to the right hand side of the map period base and paragon sol um, those are regions that uh, one was already under test control, the other one was flipped uh, from the Imperium uh, to Legacy. Basically, a lot of the renters that were lost by test and Legacy were moved here, I believe. So that um, a little bit of passive income can still be generated. And lastly, you have a line in Esoteria. Uh, Esoteria was um, being encroached on, or there was some progress being done by Bastion and uh, some of the alliances from Stain, that progress was stopped at that constellation that's in the northern part of Zotiria, and the rest of the region seemed to be stable and in the under control of the uh, army of Mango, which, by the way, have also been starting pushing back uh, out to remove hostiles from the rest of Zotiria. This is the TLDR, basically, of this part of the map, so essentially Fountain's done. Delve's uh, query is done. Delve uh, is uh, basically done as far as getting settled, that is, and uh, removing structures. And then this is sort of the new uh, battle lines. And then if you go further in the map, if you scroll to the right-hand side, so the sort of southeast area, XIX still has their territories. Uh, Mango has... Uh, uh, part of um, as Amist and I think part of Fetabolis, and then there's a bunch of territories that have now either are either being fought over or belong to kind of Imperium affiliated guys uh, like Red Alliance uh, or um, or like Dracaris or in it in the area of Catch. Uh, I think Tenerife is so Fetabolis, so I expect some fighting to be happening there. Maybe some some good timers to get content out of. Um, yeah, that's essentially the situation with the map. Uh, I think that's pretty straightforward, but I wanted everybody to be caught up on what's going on and what's uh, really happening. Because you see a lot of propaganda about the burning of legacy space, but it seems that that kind of reached a, a standstill or a stone wall. And also, interestingly, they haven't been unable to get any Keepstar past the armor timer, basically. So even though we were busy and we had to babysit all the Sinojammers, they they weren't able to kill Keepstars in the previous space from Legacy. So if they weren't able to do it then, I really doubt they're going to be able to do it now, which has a few implications. One, that, well, first of all, by their own claim of whether it really glassed the region or not, really did a lot of damage. If you can't kill the Keepstars and for people's assets out you know that's not a good look second our keepstar chain it means it's still intact basically to move around those areas um yeah and lastly the 
I'd like to stop there for a second. You're listening to Gobbins. He's a leader of Horde. He, this is a town hall he had on Saturday where he was updating on the transition in the war going into 1DQ area. Uh, he's also now referring to legacy space and some of the progress that was made by the Imperium and other third-party groups there and how that has essentially stopped. And uh, he's referring to uh, what that situation is there. He refers to something about the uh, Keepstar... Uh, chain intact. Let me back that up. I want to bring that up now. Uh, let's see. Sorry, lots of windows open. Yeah, here it is. Just so you can see what he's referring to, because this is a massive chain of keep stars, which means uh, keep stars in this case is important. Why? Because it is a travel route that is 100% safe for Titans and for supercarriers. And so when you have this kind of a, a network that is uninterrupted, you can essentially go from all over Legacy Space all the way over to Delve. They are connected now. They weren't before. And this means that they have essentially a railroad on which to move tanks back and forth. And the only thing that will slow you down is the jump fatigue, which is now a lot more manageable than it used to be when jump fatigue first came out. That is a huge advantage to controlling an area. Because again, this is not jump bridges, this is keep stars. And that's totally different. So this is what he's referring to when he says this next part. Intact, basically, to move Oops. around those Let's try that again. For people's assets out, uh, you know, that's not a good look. Second, our keep star chain, it means it's still intact basically to move around those areas um yeah and lastly the fact that to get in move in other people and get settled in a region while their hostile keeps their up is uh very easy all right so uh, we'll stop there for a second uh i'm gonna move over to they talk a little bit about dark side and what's going on there uh dark side's harassing them in their home territory um but i didn't um I didn't find that uh, to be as pertinent as this other stuff. If you guys want to, of course, we'll give you the link to this and you guys can listen to that part. We're only going to skip about 10 minutes here. And I want to get to um, talking about the allies and are they in this to win this along with the other Pappy groups. And we'll hear what his response is to that. Uh, I'll keep this map up just so you guys can appreciate the scale of that a little more. It kind of blew me away when I saw it. But uh, here's Gobbins, the leader of Horde, on allies in Pappy. I have seen quite a few questions asking about our allies. Uh, do we feel everybody's doing their part? Is everybody holding up okay? Yeah, that was the main thing I wanted to address with the map to show, because there's a lot of propaganda out there that sent test basically settled in new territories, and there's a lot of territories, and they're pretty, I mean, if you, you live in Delve, you see it yourself, and the areas around it. Um, besides that, I think even retaking some of that space that now contested seems to be easy now, except I don't really think there's anybody who, that would leave there. So I think that's the main problem. Let's say that we retook catch, who would be holding cat who would leave there? So um, I don't think it's really necessary, but also I think if, if it were flipped again, uh, it would be um, possibly a waste of effort because then 
with nobody to live there, it would just be low ADM IOPS and flipping back and forth. Uh, but as far as I can see from my perspective, the LS seem to be doing well. Uh, besides legacy and test, FRT seems to be doing really well. And uh, yeah, who else? Uh, and CNPL, I think can see as one of the most stable and uh, um, active sort of I numbers in those uh, those graphs that check that track the the persistence of activity from ZKill. So um, yeah, we can move on to the questions about industry and about uh, how the economy has changed, unless there's something else. But yeah, you can write down questions about older topics, Ilian, if there's something important. I have quite a few noted down about industry stuff. Okay. Uh, main one, obviously, that was asked first was with the industry changes incoming, do we expect Oracles to be relevant again? Okay, so now we're going into industry changes. One second. And I'm not sure how much further to go because this thing goes like uh, a full hour. <laughs> We've done a half hour and uh, it's taken twice as long because I'm interrupting for commentary. Uh, I believe that's the end of the war part of this. And so the rest of this may be very interesting for people uh, interested in Gobbin's point of view of uh, what these production changes are going to mean. Um, but in the interest of time, we're now going to move to something else. Um, we could we could go on, but it would take about three days to get through all the stuff we want to get through. So we're just going to stop there. I kind of have mixed feelings about it. And uh, we will go to... Um, oh, actually, I'm going to let Gobbins go a little longer on uh, the Orca or the Oracle change here. And while he's doing that, I'm going to prepare the next segment with Dunk Dinkle. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let me get to the industry. There's one question I think is worth addressing. That's sort of from the first. Uh, uh, Salem is asking, what do we consider one? Uh, that's a good question. I should have specified again right at the start. Uh, the same, the, the answer is the same objective that we claimed earlier, uh, which is uh, burning one. Hold on. My bad. So, and Gobbins has done this like three times. He's asked a certain question. He says, I'll get to that. And he answers a different question. So he doesn't go on to answer the industry question. He answers a question we're interested in is what are the victory conditions? So let's listen to that. That we claimed earlier, uh, which is uh, burning 1DQ. And if you want more details, I would say that burning 1DQ entails uh, best, like in the ideal scenario, killing the the central staging keeps that of the goons. Uh, otherwise, taking down those uh, those four Tizars that we hold a grudge on, that would be a nice uh, sort of mid-step if we were to somehow get as far as, say, getting into Wendigo, but we just can't crack that less keep star. That would be nice, too. But essentially, our goal remains uh, Wendigo. Um, yeah, let's, uh, let's move on to the to the industry. Let me check my... All right. So that, that is an important distinction because victory conditions uh, need to be consistent across the board for Pappy. Or you may see somebody say, we've done everything we came to do. We're out of here. You guys do whatever you want. And you may see the coalition break up and get weak if they don't all have the same victory condition where they can call it quits and move on. Uh, 
that's just one scenario. So he says basically it's always been one DQ and uh, taking that on and he leaves a little, uh, he talks a little bit about specifics of that. Okay, one other thing I wanted to show you is, uh, let's go back to this map. We're gonna get to Dunk in just a second, but before we do, when he was talking about those numbers, here's the, the uh, numbers that he was talking about as far as activity. And you can see over here um, in uh, April 1st that the numbers have really kind of gotten as low as they've ever been. Not too much lower than they've ever been, but, but uh, similar. Fire Coalition's not really fighting right now, so I, their numbers are maybe uh, the same, but it looks like the people fighting in Delve, all those numbers have gone down because a lot of the battles are predetermined. So if there's no excitement, and there's less reason to jump in. You'll see the Imperium talk about this as being a boring war, uh, but it's more like it's a predictable war, which may make it boring. Uh, you're still winning a lot. You're still destroying a lot if you're on the Pappy side of things, but uh, you're not getting a lot of uh, surprises. Now that we're turning into 1DQ, that may all change. But that is the, uh, the thing that he was referring to uh, that was pasted. Okay, let's move over to Dunk Dinkle. Let's see if I can uh, start this right at the right place. Now, Dunk uh, has talked about how his guys are in position and uh, they've actually reconstituted. Um, we're not. And, uh, you know, he's thanked some people for doing logistic works, but basically. Uh, as Gobbin said earlier, and as Dunk will, um, confirmed earlier in this video, Brave is in good shape. They're in Quarius, and they're settled, and uh, they had a really bad spell there as they were transitioning with a lot of disagreement among the people who were doing a lot of the transitioning work. Uh, that was leaked out into the media and um, and really pointed at as, at, as a behind the scenes look at what's really happening in legacy in legacy so they've recovered from that it looks like and uh so he's going on now to talk about and this is interesting uh the war what's interesting about it i'll point out uh, a little bit later in a rush so once that keep star is dead um you're gonna see us trying to make our assault on the 1dq constellation Sorry, unfortunately, when he recorded this, he was away from the microphone, so he's a little bit quieter than I would like. So what I'm going to do is turn him up just a bit. All right, and let's go back just a few. Stars is winding up. Um, we have killed over 40 keep stars. Um, comms. Uh, we have an awful lot of people in comms, and... Um, there are people who are a bit of a chatterbox and don't leave time for others. He's finishing up. I don't have a piece of paper that says, shut the fuck up. But please shut the fuck up a little bit and let other people have a chance to talk in comms. Every thought that comes into your head does not need to come out of your mouth, nor do you need to fill every moment with talking. So please leave a gap for people who are not so chatty to interact, ask questions on comms. Please, it can be overwhelming when you're new to Brave to be in comms with everybody talking every millisecond of the time. Well, I'll try not to take that personally. I do want to point this out, though, and I couldn't unsee it once I saw it, so I'm reluctant to tell you. But if we look here, 
he has a little crease right here that kind of looks like cleavage right in the middle of his shirt. And it's an X for brave, but it kind of looks like a bikini. So the whole time I'm looking at this, I'm thinking of him sunbathing on the beach in a bikini with a little cleavage. All right, that's a lot of brave news. Uh, let's go on to the war. Um, the grind phase of killing keep stars is winding up. Um, we have killed over 40 keep stars from the Imperium. I think there's one more to go. I, I don't know if uh, the Imperium is going to put up a fight on that last keep star outside of the 1DQ constellation, uh, but we will find out. Um, we're not in a rush. So once that keep star is dead, um, you're going to see us trying to make our assault on the 1DQ constellation. And this will be talked about a lot. Um, it is uh, something that we are going to slowly grind them down and eventually uh, kill all the things that we want to kill. Um, do not be in a rush. The Imperium is anxious, anxious for a titanic battle where they can tip the slides, have another kind of M2 event. Um, they're desperate for us to walk into their trap and we are not going to do any of that kind of thing. Okay, I gotta stop him right here because we need to go back and do the Imperium first. It makes more sense. So I'm, I'm calling an audible, you know, we're gonna change the plan a little bit. Instead of uh, doing dunk first, we're actually gonna run over uh, to, Let's change the screen back over to our audio player. Uh, one second. And what we'll see here now is, uh, again, I said we're gonna do the meta show a little bit because I wanted to, that's the fireside, so we'll go to the meta show. The meta show happened right after um, Gobbin's speech basically and so again i want to refer you to what i said at the beginning gobbin said if you're looking for a big fight early on that's not what we're going to do he later went on to say that's not how things happen things happen by accident that's how you get big fights when two people think they can win the fight not by plan or you have a trap that you want to spring so you'll let things get destroyed and then you spring the trap as asher tried to do in yz9 so uh, let's go to the first part here, which is there's a lot of bits inside this meta show. And again, it's hard to listen to the whole thing. Again, I, I found it hard to listen to. I actually was exhausted when I was done because it's got some information, but the information is buried in a lot of um, attitude and messaging that I was not uh, really comfortable with. So let's go to, uh, but there are some neat uh, things here that we need to get. So let's get this first one. The cost of Titans going up leads to uh, a rant later on. Uh, here we go. How do we get there? If a oh, Titan or, is going to cost $350 billion is to produce... Sorry, this is Matani and Brisk on the Meta Show. ...produce at the end of this shit. It's just like, what is... I, I'm worried. Between that and the, the, the... And, you know, from an Imperial perspective, we've got the most Titans. So we, if they're going to cost $350 billion is to produce, we can just keep the things parked until the war is over. If the bad guys are not going to use Titans to attack our Titans, which I prefer they would, I would like to have Titan fights, right? But if they're going, oh, shit, Titans are going to cost $350 billion, we're going to park ours, which is sort of what Gobbins seems to have just said on their town hall, that they're not going to bring supers into 1DQ1. They're going to go full coward mode, which is not really a huge surprise. And also, at this point, I can't even really say I blame them, because if we don't know, moving target-wise, how much is a fucking Titan going to cost at the end of this thing, 
uh, and it doesn't seem like CCB has any idea. Like, I, I'm just worried. If a well, Titan Mark, is going to cost $350 billion to produce at the end of this shit, it's just like, what is... I, I'm worried. Between that and the, the, the... And, you know, from an Imperial perspective, we've got the most Titans. So we, if they're going to cost... Sorry, got away from me. It actually looped back. I missed that because I was typing something. Uh, okay, so he's talking about the high cost of Titans. Now it changes the equation because now you have very expensive ships. And now you don't want to lose them, not even for fun. Uh, so... What happens with the meta show is it kind of goes on in a very analytical way, which I thought was pretty good at the beginning. Uh, you have Matani doing, he's one of the smartest players in the game that uh, is in control of a giant group. Um, but, well, let me, let me not overstate he's one of the smartest players in the game. It's a lot of smart players in EVE Online. But he has uh, access to a lot of smart people, and he is one himself, so he's able to uh, extrapolate a lot of things. So anytime he talks, he's making news. Uh, and, and a lot of times uh, some of his stuff is accurate. So you want to like listen to what he's talking about the um, as far as the Titans becoming very expensive, therefore creating a situation where you maybe don't want to jump into a big fight. And what's interesting here is he will he sees the rash rationale in it, but later he'll try to get past the rationale to uh, trick his opponents into jumping in and fighting. Uh, but this doesn't happen until Merkel Chen gets in because they talk about numbers and a lot of uh, mathy things. I think that's the way Merk points it. And then Merkel Chen kind of comes in as like, I am tired of all this stuff that you're talking about. I want to talk about what Gobbin said. And this is where you'll see the tone of this, the show shift. And then you get into the messaging part, which is these guys uh, are chicken, basically. Are you angry, Mark? You have an angry scowl on your face. You look mad. Are you kids almost done with your fucking math homework? Can we go outside <laughs> soon, for fuck's sake? I can't take too much more of this shit. Nam, I never pictured you as a fucking Sun Tzu guy, but that databases don't speak English bullshit clearly was in The Art of War. Um, <laughs> look, I, you've just spent 30 minutes talking about what hasn't happened. That's unfucking believable Is this really what we've been reduced to? today like we're at the end of a war that's been going on a war of erasure for over a year now and we were just told no bullshit straight face looking in your eyes during a town hall if you're expecting a big fight you're going to be disappointed is that how this whole fucking thing ends are you kidding me what was the goddamn point of this bullshit if what you wanted to do was prove to the Imperium that the entire game could gang up on them for a fucking year? We kind of knew that already. And they would bend and never break. You've officially set us up for the next 15 years of success because we know all we got to do is stick our head under the ground for a minute, ride this bullshit out, and we're going to just march along and continue. That is it? I, I'm just stunned. I'm sorry. I listened to that. It ruined my fucking day. I started thinking this – anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I, I don't want to interrupt I, that with my no, cackle, no, no, but listen, it's true. We're not going to stop you when you're ranting. you got to do thing. it. Yeah, it was it was I, I didn't listen to it. Uh, I had people listen to it for me, and I read their reports, and it was just like they're – seriously, they got also like – can. So uh, he trails off there, and uh, I don't know what he says, but it, basically he's he's now, I think, taking a cue from Merkel Chen, and uh, you'll see it ramp up, uh, the rhetoric ramp up about, hey, these guys are chicken. Uh, Inominate says something here that's very interesting. He does a little appraisal of the situation, which is unflattering to him, but he turns it around, I think, trying to 
make a point with it. Let's see what he says. Before the show, I was like, you know, we're looking at this and it's like, should this even be our top story? So I'm, I'm going to just sort of slide through this so everybody can suffer and be bored. Uh, if you're, quote, if you're expecting a massive fight, then I think you will be disappointed, unquote. That's we'll have the, another that's town the hall. Thing. That's, that's so start, inspiring. That's the that quote. Sun Tzu too. How do you start a, how do you start a town hall on that kind of a downer? Like, guys, all this, the thing that you've been waiting for, this big giant fight to take out 1DQ, yeah, it's not going to happen. The, the embarrassing thing about this war is that for all of the success that Pappy has had, and like this for this war, this has been an unmitigated success for them. And it has been bad for us, and this is objective truth. And But somehow, they've managed to create a situation where... If they can't take our last system, they still wind up looking like bitches. Like, how badly do you have to screw up your own narrative to get in that kind of a position? I, I mean, that, but that's that's the, that is. Uh, at this point, they're just riffing uh, on that. Uh, if you can, Araya, pass me the uh, cultural difference between Pappy and Imperium. I'm, I'm happy to jump to that timestamp. I don't have that. Uh, I was looking for references about goblins and how they were essentially attacking goblins for being the uh, the coward. Uh, and this is where I think uh, the Matani talks about how um, he's not going to give Pappy what they want, which is interesting because he is his laying out. He understands what they want. They want an admission of defeat, and uh, Matani is promising never to give him that. I know that the pubbies are fussed, right? I know that it's going well. And the more that they talk about how they hate me or how awful of a human being I am or how they really want to get rid of the Matani and then it'll be okay, that is profoundly motivating. That is one of the things that really inspires me to get up in the morning and make sure that everything that they know and love is taken away from them in the video game of EVE Online. And if what they really want is acknowledgement or some kind of validation from us, that just inspires me to make sure that they never, ever get it. So, for example, if you are looking at all of this and you're going, gosh, I'm sick of hearing about the casino war, then I just talk about it more. It's the same kind of thing. And that's what we're seeing here is these guys are just like fuck they just don't get it but anyway it's annoying i'm glad i'm glad that they are angry and unsatisfied i'm glad that they hate being called a bunch of blue donuts serenity loving cowards uh i'm glad about all of that because i know that they have uh they'll never be able to get what they really want from us which is an acknowledgement or validation of anything that they have attempted to do in this last year uh <laughs> and when it comes down to it the fundamental thing is their whole strategy, this entire war, has been numbers. It's all been numbers. Everything's about numbers. We're going to bring bigger numbers. We're going to have more people. That's how we're going to beat it. If you're they, expecting a massive fight, then I think you will be disappointed. But they're Fuck, finally dude. getting to the. They're finally getting <laughs> down to the final stage of the war, where this is the make a or break time. Bitches. Because this is like baseball. You're winning till you're not weak. And the one time that they can't use numbers is now, and the result is. We're hearing nothing. We're not seeing anything. This entire horde town hall, the tone, the tenor of everything that I saw coming out of this is they have no idea how they're going to break 1DQ. They're talking about harassment campaigns and dropping Asbel. Have they seen? I mean, I, I th it makes me think Gobbins has never been in 1DQ. Have you not seen that grid? Do you not know what you're going to have to do when you get there? All right, we'll stop there. Uh, that is a definite answer to what they heard on the town hall, which is what you heard earlier today. 
And uh, this is where they get a little, actually, um, I'll come back, Rhea, to that because it's, I have to switch up the video. Well, let me, let me try to do that right now. One second. As I change formats again, we'll listen to a clip. This is uh, the meta show that was clipped by Araya. I think there's a big uh, cultural difference between us and the rest of the game when it comes to capitals and supers. And you can see it in chat and you can see it in what Brisk is saying. And you can see it in the way that goons talk about, you know, how they lost a ship in a big fight. The reason that goons buy super capitals is so they can die gloriously in combat. Well, most of the rest of the game, the reason they buy super capitals is because it gives them social standing within their group. I think. Okay, so I'll bring you back now to. Oops. Uh, I don't know what to make of that. I think that is. I don't know if that's true. It, 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 let's take them at their word that it's it's fun for them to lose uh, big ships. Um, but I, I don't know where that puts puts you uh, in this game, except maybe you, you don't take it so seriously, which we kind of know they do because they're, they're good at it. They've been playing it a long time. Here is uh, where it gets a little bit toxic with the, or maybe a lot, with um, edge egging on uh, their competition, which would be Gobbins. I think most of this is aimed at Gobbins, which is interesting because when I show you Dunk later, there'll be a switch, uh, and we'll talk about that. I mean, you spend almost a year doing this, and when it comes time to fuck or walk, you say that just to warn everybody in advance that they're going to go with the littlest dick bitch, low-risk way of trying to end the longest war in the history of EVE. It is perfectly on brand for a bunch of little dick bitches, right? I, I, well, I, that's the thing. I think we it were fits. all waiting. It's consistent. For almost a year, they have been consistently eager to be little dick bitches. And every time they actually get in a real fight, we cut that thing off. Mark, do you want to think this is why the war is going to end is with this whimper? I think, is he, call, is he, is he saying castration? Is that what he's talking about? I, I, I wasn't sure about that. Well, kind who, of a whimper. Who can forget? All right. So we'll go to... Uh, a little bit more of the with the numbers teasing. you had i'm really not gonna uh, fluff you too much on that one because it's it i think fluff is fluffers i don't know if you guys know what that stuff is so again this is kind of toxic uh, masculinity i don't know if you guys care about that i do i think it's pretty tacky but uh, that's just my opinion about it we're looking for information and uh, i think there's some here it's impressive but it's not that impressive when you get the entire game to form a union um, a union of the kids who called the cops on fucking cool <laughs> high school parties, right? Like we, you heard that the cheerleader that you were after was coming to our party and you knew you better not show your fucking face at that party. It's not safe for you. What do you do? You call the cops, right? Cause if, if you can't go, nobody can. Um, that's the situation that we're in. I want to give these guys an out, right? You want to just say, boy, let's all pretend you didn't say the litany of stupid shit along the way that you did about, you know, we're going to exterminate goons and all that stuff. We'll let it fly, right? We, we can let it all come to pass. So how do you get out of this? At what point? I mean, are, you, are they just going to flop into 1DQ a couple times all 
flaccid and, and just like, well, we got to give it a go, right? We said we'd go after him. We might as well do it. There's nothing else going on. What, that's it. That's how this is all going to end is with a whimper and a couple of half-ass attempts at the most fortified system in EVE Online. Our people have just taken the last night. Well, that was interesting. That was a super hard crash. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to get everything back up. We're going to start again in about three minutes. And uh, we'll continue where we were. I guess my computer got overheated or angry at me. So it decided to completely lock up. And that took me all the way down to restart. So here we are again. Uh, let's go back to where we were. I'll go ahead and share. There we are. And I'm sorry about that delay. So we were doing the meta show. We were almost done with it, actually. And you can go and listen. It's on uh, Twitch. And um, it's, uh, it's a public show for public consumption. And uh, here we were with the next one was something I just wanted to tease Brisk about because I was like, come on. But this part, I, I thought, was a bit much. Hey, baby, if you're expecting something massive, Whoa. I think you'll be disappointed. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what I wanted. It's right here. Hey, baby, if you're... Hey. All right. Now I fixed it. Stars. I lost a Dread, an FWST. I lost a Titan and M2. It's not about what I killed. It's what I lost. I was there. I put my dick on the table. We fought. I lost stuff. And we're still out here. We're still going. And that's... That I think is pretty pretty considerable, and I think one of the things the, the bads did not take take into account is they honestly thought that, as has happened in every major war before, one solid shove of these big big groups will show they're they're really just this rotted out core, and it's a fake statue, and it. Just... Uh, okay, so I just wanted to point that out. I think what Brisk is talking about there is the culture of we risk our big ships, and so uh, there's more examples of that. Here's the last part, uh, which is I'll probably not sleep well at night hearing this over and over again in my head, but here it is. Hey, baby, if you're expecting something massive, I think you'll be disappointed. <laughs> That's like the best real. pickup line in the yeah. bar ever. Would you say that? Hey, baby, if you're expecting a, a, a massive fight, I bet you'll be disappointed. That's there a fucking winning line. Holy fuck, what a bunch of bitches. Are you kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> he just said this. It, it, there was recordings. He said this. He chose to say these things in we public. Get this, uh, I, I didn't have time Are to you get the sound clips me? up for the show. Maybe we'll have them for next week. I but. mean, this should... I can't, I can't help the irony. He chose to say those things in public. Are you kidding me? And here we are, like, uh, addressing some of the rhetoric and how heated it gets and how it's very uh, challenging, right? So we're, we'll finish up here, and then we'll go on to uh, uh, a, a little bit of a response, which is unusual from Dunk. It'd be framed. This is, if anybody asks what Pappy is like, just have him listen to this fucking Gobbins Town Hall. It does what it says on the tin. It's a feature, not a bug. They're behaving exactly as they want to behave. <laughs> they are responsible for all of the little dick bitch cowardice shit that they have been doing. When they bring it, Bad shit happens. I'm hoping that I make fun of them enough. Maybe they'll be able to find some balls. Maybe they should start wearing Snuggies on live TV too because it, it, it makes it a little bit easier. He trails off, but at the end there, he tells you really what he's trying to do here. 
whether you condone it or not, he's trying to agitate them into action uh, because, uh, um, as we'll hear later, uh, a slow creeping death is more dangerous than a big flashbang that um, Imperium can possibly win. So the idea is to get Pappy agitated enough to make a mistake, to create a situation that gives Imperium the opportunity they're looking for, which is a head-on collision, that they might actually win, and they think they can win. All right, so after that, they just wrap up. That's really kind of uh, the meta show. You can catch that live uh, on Saturdays uh, or watch it. So let's go back to Dunk here. This will take me just a second to fix up. That if you're, if you're hearing that in the background, that is my wife having a great time on Zoom with her uh, friends. Okay. Sorry, everything's a little slow coming back up. We're going back into uh, a view with... Let's see if we can get him in here. Don't tinkle. Now, this was recorded on April 4th. I don't know if this came before or after the um, Meta Show, but what I want to point out is that all their heat from the Meta Show is directed at Gobbins. It's not really directed at Dunk, which makes me think that Dunk's message wasn't out yet or wasn't viewed or wasn't brought to Matani's attention. Matani says, I don't look at those shows. People watch them for me and report to me. And uh, that's very likely true. But back to Dunk in his bikini, uh, he actually has a message. I think he's aiming for uh, Mittens himself, but he says he is aiming for shit posters from his opponent's side. And he gets uncharacteristically uh direct um we're not in a rush so once that keep star is dead um you're gonna see us trying to make our assault on the 1dq constellation and this will be talked about a lot um it is uh something that we are going to slowly grind them down and eventually uh kill all the things that we want to kill um, do not be in a rush. The Imperium is anxious, anxious for a titanic battle where they can tip the slides, have another kind of M2 event. Um, they're desperate for us to walk into their trap and we are not going to do any of that kind of thing. As all of you know, it is the slow blade that penetrates the shield and we will go oh so slowly frustrating them to no end until we eventually penetrate their shield and wreck them all. Um, all of Brave is doing great. This has been an exceedingly long war. This is a historic war in all of EVE and you are all showing up and uh, participating. But we're about to enter another phase. It's gonna be very subcap driven phase in the beginning here in which we grind them down and reduce them to a single system uh, in all of New Eden. So I ask you to put your butts in seats, get into fleet, and go grind them down. This is going to be some good times, good fleets. Um, but we're not in a rush. As much as the goons want this titanic battle to happen, we are not going to give them what they want. Now, most of the Imperium players are good people. 
Um, they like good fights. Um, they have been having fun. We have been having fun. Um, I don't have a real grudge against most of the Imperium people. Uh, there is a small cadre of Imperium shit posters, and I'm going to talk to them right now. Okay, but before he does, let's just wrap up uh, the understanding of this. This is a direct answer to what the Meta Show was selling, which is, hey guys, you guys aren't real men. You need to fight like real men. Come on. And uh, Dunk is saying, we're not going to fall for that. We're going to take it slow. We're going to be methodical. And we're going to, and this is great, I just learned this, the Dune reference, penetrate your shield with our knives. In other words... Uh, they're uh, basically going to do it their way. So uh, Dunk, speaking for test, speaking for Brave, a part of Pappy, is saying, we're not going to fall for your tricks, your mind tricks. We're going to take it slow, and we're going to whittle you away in into nothing. But now he does something different. He's pivoting here to something extra special, because I think he's, uh, he's going to send a message of his own, which I think is a little uncharacteristic of Dunk, because he seems to get a little bit knife twisty here but we'll see what you think so you small cadre of imperium shit posters i just want to remind you of something that there's nothing you're going to write in an article that is going to save you there is no reddit shit post that is going to save you there's no brigading of reddit that is going to save you there's no insulting uh nickname that is going to save you there is no angry comment in Twitch chat that is going to save you. All of it is for naught. And the funny thing is, you know, you know deep down inside that this is inevitable. And that sick feeling you feel while you type with your fists on Reddit or wherever you write, you know you're losing this war. Your goalposts have been moved so much and you're literally arguing how you didn't want the Keepstars. It is pathetic. And to you, the small cadre of shit posters, you are the one that I'm gonna relish the most as we move into the constellation and slowly pick you apart bit by bit as our blade penetrates. So, with that, that's my message to the shit posters. To the rest of the Imperium people who like good fights, I will see you on grid. It's going to be awesome. Okay. Uh, and that's it. That's pretty much his message uh, about the war. Uh, and I just thought that was a little, uh, a little uncharacteristic because he's like looking into your soul saying like, we're going to, nothing can save you. You're dying. And uh, I thought that was strong, strong uh, stuff coming from Dunk, who's usually very happy and jovial and wants to share drinks with everybody. Uh, okay, let's go back to, now we'll go back to the, uh, do you guys, do you guys want to stop and continue tomorrow? Or do you guys want to keep going? You guys tell me in chat. I think we can make it through without another uh, disaster there, but uh, we do have more uh, Imperium stuff to go, so it might overheat my computer <laughs> again. <laughs> Although uh, Dunk, Dunk seems to have made it through. Okay, uh, let's go to the Fireside, no, the Test Alliance, because I think this happened next. Uh, again, the Fireside actually happens on Sunday. All these things happened on um, Saturday. So the Fireside will reflect 
on everything that was talked about on Saturday. So let's go to Pro God Legend here. He starts out. This one isn't bookmarked, so we'll it'll be a little looser. Here is Test Alliance with Pro God Legend and Vili talking to their troops about the situation in the war. Now, I want to warn you, Pro God is a very persuasive speaker, great style, always feels relaxed, but he is not above sending messages of his own. You will see him make little slights and uh, and basically ridicule his opponent too. Uh, but he does it in a way that just kind of passes by. So we'll, it's not so abrupt. Let's see what happens here. Let's uh, zoom in and make sure we start at the right, about the right time. Dun, dun. All right. Uh, so everyone, uh, the last Goon Keep Star outside of the 1DQ constellation is in structure and will die in two days. Um, and Someone record this, place. I think the Sodios are all dead too, except for that Sodio on PS Tech 9. Um, and we are very quickly approaching the time when goons will have no structure outside of the 1DQ constellation. Delve is almost ours. Aquarius is ours. Period basis is ours. This is almost entirely our space. Now, we've been talking about this for months, so you guys know the general stakes here. 1DQ uh, has their entire super fleet. If we kill the Keep Stars or kill their super fleet, then this is over. If we kill their super fleet, it's obviously over. If we kill the Keep Stars and their super fleet gets asset safety, it's also over. And this is all they have left now. Now, what we've we've been listening to their their meta show on Fireside all weekend, and the the panic they're putting on a a strong you know a strong front um, and puffing. Their Let me actually stop him there because now we know that this comes after the meta show. So Gobbin's first meta show, I think. Uh, got, um, I have to ask Dunk when he actually released. So I think we have the order now, and it's important because they are answering each other in these things. So it was Gobbin's first for sure. Metashow responds to Gobbins, and now you're seeing uh, Progod respond to the Metashow, and later Imperium will respond to this as well, and Dunk, I think, came after the Metashow as well. Um, and puffing their chest up, but th their policies are starting to betray how, how panicked they actually are here. The fact that they're actually starting to talk about asset safety and you know, how much ISK they can have and, uh, to buy out people's asset safety and stuff like that. Someone figure out who that is and please mute him. <laughs> this is, hey, I'll, I'll skip ahead because that guy's annoying, whoever that was. Um, they, they are starting to realize uh, how fucked they are. And this is going to get really interesting really quickly. Uh, so to put it in a nutshell, uh, Final keep start dies in two days. After that, we will have no reason to be uh, on constant Sinojammer vigilance um, for you know defending the Sinojammer keep stars so we can kill the keep stars, and that will allow us to change our stance considerably. Um, the siege of the 1DQ constellation will basically start once that keep star dies, but it's going to be a, a slow build up. Relatively, there might be a big fight here and there. It's um, going to be organic for the most part. We will probably have a coalition-wide, you know, war update or something like that this upcoming weekend to kind of uh, level set. 
and give some doctrine updates and things like that and to kind of prepare you guys for what is going on. But um, I'll go ahead and say some things today. We don't know how long the siege is going to last. We have a very solid plan that I am actually very confident in, way more confident than I was back in December or November with some of the plans we were talking about. That's funny because he didn't sound underconfident way back then, uh, but I guess that wasn't shared with the, the public. But now he's telling you they have a lot of confidence, more than they had before when the war started. That ended up leading to M2 and uh, stuff like that. Um, the situation in this war has gotten pretty straightforward. Um, the discipline and coordination and Pappy is leaps and bounds better than it, it ever was at any point during this war. Again... These, he's telling you stuff in the past that was never relayed to the public or able to be dug out. Um, but he's saying that uh, one of two things, either it was kind of bad back then when this war was going on, or that it's never been better and it was already good back then. I think he means to do the latter. So he's probably saying we're as tight as we've ever been. Uh, but at the same time, you think like, well, maybe it wasn't that great back when they were in the middle of this war. Um, and we actually just finished a, one of the, the Pappy leadership meeting, uh, right before this town hall and to kind of illustrate just, just how, how far we've come and, and how straightforward the siege is going to be. Uh, myself and Philly and a couple of the other Pappy guys came to the meeting with our plans on how this should go that we were going to discuss. And all the plans were basically the exact same. And we all pretty much agreed on what needed to be done. There were some details we haggled over. And it, it was very comforting to me that uh, we've all kind of gotten on the same page coordination-wise. Uh, we all have the same goals. We all have a general idea of how this needs to be executed. And we're all kind of seeing the same big picture here. Uh, so going into the siege, uh, Pappy is as strong as it's ever been. Um, our Titan fleet is pretty much back to full strength. Uh, the only alliance with any SRP left is a test, and we've SRP'd pretty much everybody. Um, our cap. Then again, test took the heaviest losses. I believe they lost like 90 Titans in the uh, M2 debacle. Uh, Brave was second with about 25 or 40 Titans, one of those two. Uh, Fire maybe had. A handful, but NCPL, all those guys, fraternity, they lost one, maybe, maybe two. Uh, that was the one thing that maybe people didn't understand. M2 really screwed Test more than anybody, and Brave second most. So it was a legacy uh, pain point, uh, much more than it was anybody else. So when he says everybody else has recovered their SRP, in other words, replace the Titans they lost, except Test, well, that just makes sense because they're the one that lost the most. But again, those other guys only needed to replace one to five Titans. Not a big deal back at the time. Capital fleets are as big as they, they've ever been. Uh, we've got, you know, plenty of numbers. We've got plenty of FCs. We've all learned a lot. We've all learned how to work together. And while this will be the most challenging part of the war um, from a uh, tactical standpoint, strategically, We've never been in a better position. Um, so while I can't say how long this is going to take, I, I am very confident that uh, some months down the road, hopefully, you know, 
less uh, than three or four, maybe. Uh, I, I won't say that's that's likely, but um, it's possible, or it could go longer than that. But um, some months down the road, I am 100% confident at this point that goons will be asset safetying the last of their supers and titans, and reality will be setting in for all of their line members who have trusted Matani this entire time. Um, that they have given away everything. They've given away all that wealth they built up. Uh, not only did they lose it all um, in structures and ships and, you know, trusting their leadership and letting it get asset safety into a station they'll never get out of, but any ISK they had, they were convinced to donate to the Alliance, essentially, uh, by this Ponzi scheme of a war bond situation they did where they raised way more money than the Pappy Alliances did with their war bonds. And uh, they have no way now to pay that back. This is why if you go if you go read the notes from their, the meta show, don't watch the meta show. It's, it's insufferable. But there is a dude on Reddit who keeps <laughs> putting the notes there. Okay, a couple of things there before he goes on to slap meta show. Uh, he's saying this uh, scam that they do with the war bonds and stuff. But Test did the same thing that Imperium did. So it was a good idea to collectivize wealth in order to keep the group going from individuals. They collected money and they redistributed it to get everybody uh, into the ships that they needed because they need the bodies, but they also need the equipment. And it's no good to them if they have one body with 20 ships and 19 bodies with no ships. So you want to redistribute that wealth in order to keep fighting in big numbers. And that's what's going on here. So again, the bonds and the reason he talks about them not being able to pay those bonds back is because the idea that he's trying to get across is that after this war, they won't have any wealth to be able to pay those bonds back, and therefore, there will be money that is lost. So he's going to go on now to something else, and we'll follow up. Uh, that's useful. All they've been doing for the past four weeks is bitching about the economy. That's not coming out of some kind of altruism or, or you know, love for the game. Uh, Matani has gives no shits about Eve. He only gives a shit about the Imperium. It's been part of the problem for the past few years. It's why everyone got together for this war. Uh, they don't give a shit about the economy because of Eve. They only care about the economy changes because reality is setting in that they're not going to have any fucking way to pay back these war bonds and that they're going to have to go tell their members, sorry, we tricked you uh, and we can't pay you back. So eventually, at some point down the road, uh, once we've won the final battle in 1DQ, reality will set in for all these goon line members that they were tricked um, you know, by the ultimate trickster himself. And hopefully, they, they will wake up. And you know, a, a goon's orm without Matani at the head would be very good for the game. But uh, if he doesn't give up power... Um, which he probably won't, then at least these guys may wake up and, and see that there's a there's a better game to be played out there and try out some new try out some different alliances, try out some new opportunities. Uh, so he's uh, messaging in an interesting way. He's saying, this is what I think will happen, but he's playing out a scenario of essentially the elimination of the Imperium, which is what he, is the one that he launched in July 4th. When this war started, it wasn't Vili that came forward and said this war is starting. It was actually Pro-God. And so his messaging was, Goonswarm bad for the game. We need to get him out of the game. They lock up NullSec in a way that makes it so you can't really 
do anything else except watch what they decide. And, and that's one of the uh, themes of the war for them was to eliminate, to kick out, to disrupt and uh, declaw, de-influence the Imperium. So they couldn't be that kind of weight that made everybody else have to wait to see what they were doing. I use two different weights there. They're spelled differently, just so you know. So what he's doing is messaging uh, the defeat of them in the game and the destruction of their fortune, which they have half done by destroying, and this is a reality. I don't know if it's half, but it's a lot. They've destroyed a lot of wealth from the Imperium. They will destroy or asset safety, force into asset safety, the remainder of their arsenal, all those Titans and uh, super carriers. Uh, and that puts them in a position to uh, not be able to really harness any wealth to pay back the members that gave them on loan, those war bonds. Uh, so that creates a situation where players say, I think I'll go try something else. And this is his version of what can happen in the future. Uh, but strategically, we're in a very good position to make that happen. Um, I have 100% confidence we will make it happen. Tactically, it's going to be tough, though. So let's talk tactics here. Um, it's going to be a long burn. It's going to be constant harassment. It's going to be 24-7 around the clock. Lots of flash forms. There will be some scheduled ops for sure, as always, but it's going to be lots of flash forms. Um, Pappy Assemble is going to be used often, and we will be introducing uh, one or two new fleet comps here, as well as making some minor changes to our current fleet comps. Um, but Pappy Assemble fleets will need to be formed quickly. Uh, we will need to be able to get 250 people a fleet in, in any time zone at the drop of the hat, and the best way to do that is through Pappy Assemble. Uh, obviously, we'll still do our test and legacy fleets, um, and we'll still address some timers outside the 1DQ constellation, but we want to keep the pressure constant. Um, goons are, are not nearly as uh, well-situated for this as, as we are. They have a, a very top-down structure that, that works for some things, but this kind of 24-7 stuff where you need actual skill around the clock and not just cormorants, um, does not work out well for them. They are going to pay the price for alienating most of their FCs over the years and um, their FC team in general. Uh, they really only have two FCs um, that are any capable uh, for this kind of conflict, and it's uh, Mr. V and Asher. And unless they take 12-hour shifts, this is going to get pretty ugly for them. So we need to be able to pounce on opportunities when they come up. I can't tell you when they'll come up. They'll be random, unpredictable. Uh, situations will organically pop up where we have to uh, capitalize on a goon mistake. And so Pappy Assemble needs to become just as important as your test and legacy Voltron discords. Um, Obviously, test and legacy fleets come first. The FCs will make clear distinctions about which ones you should join um, in each ping. But uh, do not be afraid to join a Pappy Assemble fleet and make sure you've got the coalition comms set up. Um, I know at times that uh, we don't necessarily have the most clear instructions and the most clear wiki, and our orders are sometimes a little confusing because uh, this is a hobby and not a job. For all of us here and so I don't put um, 
eight hours a day and you know billy and other people don't put eight hours a day into well sometimes we do yeah you but, do uh, in general we don't you know have um the perfect most well-written orders at times um but the information is there uh and i'm going to ask you guys to to take um to help fill in the gaps there and, and take some initiative and ask some people questions if you're a little confused and to generally help each other out um with any information that's needed for the next three, four, five, hopefully two months, um, you basically need to reconfigure how you play the game and, and get yourselves ready to participate in, in what is going to be probably one of the most unique situations in this game's history. This the siege of the 1DQ constellation is, unless goons completely fold and collapse, which might happen, but unlikely. Um, it's just going to be a one-of-a-kind gaming experience. There's there's never going to be anything like it outside of EVE, I imagine, for a while. And uh, as far as EVE is concerned, there's been a couple of times where stuff's been kind of similar, but in general, I don't think there's anything been anything quite like this in EVE's history. And uh, I don't think it's sustainable for the game if this becomes the norm. So I don't think there'll be anything close to it for a very long time so this is uh one of those um to to use the the commercial uh i was there moments um that you definitely want to be a part of so if you've been taking a break if you've been kind of um kind of bored with the grind of just burning down everything goons have built up for the past five years I know this is a soft sell because remember those numbers have been slumping for everybody because not because the war is necessarily boring, but it's just kind of solved. Those structures have been going down without a lot of resistance and that makes it a structure grind. You've probably heard that. And that means that a lot of people don't show up. If you're not defending structures, you also don't show up. So Imperium numbers have fallen too. And that's why everything's kind of slumped. So this is a soft sell to say, this is going to be historic. It's going to be one of those things where you want to say you were there. So it's uh, trying to get his guys back up and into fleets. Uh, which is understandable. You know, Kilmels are nice, but they do get old when they don't shoot back. Um, then it's time to come back. It's time to, to get yourselves ready, get your comms ready, get your ships ready. Uh, you know, dot your T's and cross your I's and, and get, your, get everything ready to go so that... Uh, you guys are ready for what is essentially maybe a, a, a once-in-a-lifetime Eve experience at the very least. Um, it's going to be pretty exciting. It's going to be tough. There will be some losses. Uh, but I have honestly <laughs> haven't had this much confidence in the outcome of the war since like month two or three. Uh, there's just simply nothing goons can do. Here he's clearly messaging not to his own guys. I think he's messaging to his opponent. Uh, and what he's saying is, we got this, and you know we got this. So we'll go back and start again. But he's basically uh, push, throwing that ball right over the heads of his own guys. Uh, there's just simply nothing goons can do. And as long as we don't make a catastrophic mistake, which we've done once already this war, so it's definitely possible, but... I, the conditions are not there again. The, the, the Pappy leadership is focused. We're on the same page. We understand how to approach this, uh, this challenge, and I, I really like the plan that we've come up with. It's very solid. It's very measured. 
and uh, it's very likely to succeed. So I would say, you know, this is uh, an exciting time, and you know, considering the that the outcome of this war is within sight, um, at the very least, in that it's it's uh, there's really not much less left to do except drive goons out of one DQ. Uh, oh, is that all? <laughs> he is underplaying that, but notice the consistency in messaging from Gobbins to uh, Dunk, and especially to uh, these are very close together here. Pro God Legend saying uh, we're going to do this slow. We're going to be methodical. There's nothing goons can do, and it's uh, we almost got this wrapped up. It's no big deal, and it's going to be historic. You'll want to be there. And so these are all messages to uh, their own guys, but also to the guys on the other side uh, to intimidate them, to say like, hmm, what do they know that I don't know? If I'm an Imperium fleet member, what do they know that I don't know? That's that's the doubt they're trying to place in Imperium's head uh, as far as their people are concerned. This is the, uh, the crescendo of the war. Um, now, it's going to last a while, but um, it is going to be a good time at the very least. So... The details will come out uh, over the week, and over and things will change pretty regularly as we adjust to goon tactics and come up with new tactics of our own. But uh, now is the kind of time to get yourself mentally prepared here. Uh, so, Vili, if you want to pick it up from there. This is Vili. Uh, he's also a fleet commander for Tess. So that was just Pro God Legend that we listened to. This is Vili both fleet commanders for test and uh, leadership essentially for legacy coalition, which is a part of Pappy, the invaders in this war. I mean, I think you've hit the majority of the big things. Obviously at this point, one to Q is really the big thing remaining. We have, I think 11 hostile Fortizars left in Delve. Obviously we want to clean those up uh, post haste and the last keep star as soon as we can, but very much, as much as things are going to be very centered around 1DQ, in a way, they're, they're also going to be... It, it's going to be very casual, almost. You know, We're in a situation now where th that's just going to be our daily business. You log in, you go harass 1DQ, you know, you do what you need to do, you're ready for flash forms, you make some money, you just chill. Like That's the way we play the game now. And it's going to be good. And uh, the fact that everybody's got some space in Delve now to live in, and, you know, every little bit of Delve is kind of getting carved up and cleaned up is nice. Uh, what I am going to say in terms of stuff is that if you don't already have a Tempest or a TFI, uh, make sure you get one. Uh, before he goes on to talk about some of the doctrines they're going to use, notice what he's trying to do. He's trying to reset the normal and say uh, this is going to be a casual thing. And he doesn't mean like, well, I think what he's what he's saying is, Every day is going to look like the day before and the next day will look like today in that every day you're going to make a little bit of money. You're going to play your game. This is how we play the game. So the war is not going to jump into this gigantic theatrical big fight that has everything thrown in all at once. He's trying to calibrate expectations to be day in, day out, react fast, have your equipment. And he'll go into the equipment here. Tempests and TFIs are going to be... Uh, important for us as we kind of prepare for the battleship fleet fights ahead. If you don't have a carrier, get a carrier. If you don't have a dread, get a dread. Um, Supers and Titans, obviously, we want more of, but, you know, I understand the realities of those at the moment. Carriers, obviously, being probably the most important capital for us at the current minute. 
but just battleships, carriers, make sure you've got them, make sure you got them stocked. Uh, you know, and when you when I say stocked, I mean don't just have one Tempest in your hangar, have two, have three. If you can have some spares, it makes a big difference when you're, you know, fighting reshipping in the big time. And we will eventually get to the big time, and certainly battleships right now are not going to be going down in value anytime soon. Uh, other than that, uh, things are going well. It's just, I mean, I, I had to go, you know, do some real life stuff this week, you know, and to go teach a course, and like, <laughs> it was, it was almost like it didn't matter that I wasn't here for a week, and uh, you know, you guys just casually cleaned up more keep stars, like. That's how casual it is, right? So again, he's trying to say like, we got this. We're rolling downhill. We just need to keep doing what we're doing. I'd also like to point out the contrast between Pro God style and Vili. Although Vili sounds a little influenced by Pro God here because he's he's giving this very relaxed uh, messaging to his people. Uh, but you you could sense the difference. Pro God has just this very very relaxed way of. FCing. It's all, it's, he's very lyrical. He's maybe the only FC I've ever met or flown with that has an incredibly good rhythm to his voice. Uh, it makes everybody, it, it, he feels very uh, analog as opposed to a lot of people's digital precision and stuff, which makes him a, a completely different beast when, uh, when you're in his fleets. So I'm a big fan of uh, Pro Gods, actually. There you go. Like the the insanity of what we have done in the last month or two, it, it like, it, like it's so far out there that like you can't, it's hard to even comprehend. You know, we we just finished killing like thirty fucking keep stars, guys. Thirty fucking keep stars, like you know, however many Sotillos, however many Fortizars, how many many you know Tataras and all this other shit. Like it's just insane. You know, uh, like I, this number that somebody gave me, like, and that is actually somewhat correct, or it's like rounded up a little or rounded to an even number just for, it's like, we've been killing 12 structures a day for 300 fucking days, a hundred billion structure kill mills every day for 300 fucking days. Like put that in perspective. It's insane. It is literally fucking insane. And like, uh, you know, it's it's just craziness, man. It's just craziness. And you know, we're, we're finally finally looking kind of at the end of the tunnel a little bit. It's going to be a long grind, but uh, there's only a little bit left. And you know, the structure grinding part of this war is basically over. I mean, obviously, there's some structures in one day queue constellation that we'll have to kill, but. I, I'm ready for the next phase. I, I think it's going to be interesting, and I hope you guys are ready for it too. All right. That was Vili, and he, again, does the same thing. This is relaxed every day. We're going to execute. Um, and then he does the litany of damage they've done. Uh, he's he's relaxing and laughing about it. That's, the, that's what they're trying to get across there. Um, I don't actually think he's taunting the Imperium, but he might be. Right. He might be saying, look at what we've destroyed. Ha ha. Isn't this funny? But I, I think he's more in a different place. He's saying like, look at what we've done. Take a second to look at what we've done. It's, it's crazy what you guys have done. And so he's pepping them up to say, you're a part of something great. You're a part of something historic. And there's just a little bit more, <laughs> just a little bit more. He's trying to walk them back into fleets just to do a little bit more. 
But we all know if we look at the arsenal that's in 1DQ, it's not a little bit more. It's a lot more. Maybe not time, but intensity. And we'll, we'll see how that goes. Okay, they're going to get into a few questions here. I think there's a couple interesting ones here at the beginning. Let's let's find out. All right. Um, let's get into questions. Unless any other high command people have anything else. Uh, I do, actually. Uh, for those of you who haven't been tracking, you may have noticed that the Metaliminal Storm has moved out, for the most part, out of the 1DQ constellation. Now, this is important. Metaliminal Storms, as you know, are storms that travel around null sec, and sometimes they can whip into high sec and low sec especially, but they never go into those places. They are always in null sec, and there's always two of each type. Now, there was an electrical storm inside of the 1DQ. It's no, not the 1DQ, but Delve, basically kind of roaming around Delve. And it has, and actually I think it had left and returned. So this electrical storm is kind of haunting this entire war. Now, why is that important? The electrical storm is the one that does not allow cloak to work. Therefore, cloaky camping doesn't work when the electrical storm is around. So this is what he's addressing which means that your cloaky bullshit is now free to camp to your heart's content. Go have fun. That will be coordinated, though. On an alliance level, most likely. And a couple of SIGs and fire teams. But we'll get into that later. All right. Uh, well, let's get into questions. You know the drill. you got to have a microphone. Put a cue in the sidebar. If you can't verbally ask your question, then you don't get to ask it. And that's not me being mean. It's me saying that owning a microphone is... So, uh, can you hear me? Yes. So Call the first thing is that Billy kind of mistaken a bit by 10 keep stars. It was 40 keep stars by now. 40 out of 52, which I congratulate you all on. And it's 10 months into this war, so I wonder if we'll end the war by the end of the year, like by the end of June, start of July. And then there was a very particular thing... Uh, it's interesting. This questioner is saying, by the way, you've killed 40 keep stars. You have one more to go. That one has since died. Uh, but he also says something interesting. He's saying, are we going to finish this before the end of the year? And this appears to be Imperium rhetoric at work because Imperium is now calling this the year-long war and laughing about how long it's taking for them to be destroyed, I guess. And uh, even though it's only been like, I think, nine months or eight months, uh, June or July, actually, is when this war started. So he's actually saying, are we going to finish this before the end of the year? Now, he may be asking that innocently, but it does kind of play into that narrative of the year-long war. A very particular thing uh, during the recent move-ops from DP, where the FCs uh, stressed the matter that the move-ops are actual till the end of this week, and afterwards it as far as I understand, we will not have new ops or what is it? So I would like that clarified and cover the we'll skip ahead quickly. Here. Like, yeah, the, this this past week we made a big concerted effort to do a lot of move ops. That is not to say that we will not do more in the future. We most likely will continue to do more in the future. The focus of the move ops over the last week was primarily to make sure that everyone's TFI Tempest Doctrine ships were moved from DP to T5 because we're anticipating that we're going to use those in the near future. That was the main goal of it. But yeah, we're probably going to move more, run more move on. So it sounds like from what Gobbin said about battleships being interesting and the uh, Tempest fleet issue here, the Minimitar battleship, that uh, sounds like that's what they're going to be doing. We'll move on to the next question here. 
Yeah, so you said uh, we killed 40 out of 52 keep stars. Um, as far as I'm tracking, uh, yeah, I, I did put the kind of um, qualifier of the last month or two when I said the 30. Uh, yeah, obviously we've killed more than 30, and uh, it's all the better. Uh, with that being said, uh, do I think the war will end before the year end? I don't know. Um, it could take us two months to break 1DQ. It could take us, you know, eight months. It's it's hard to say. Um for the most part, everything's gone roughly in a reasonable time frame, so I wouldn't expect it to take longer than four months, but it's certainly possible it could. Um, it's hard to say. And you were asking about long-range dreads, and will we use long-range dreads? And the answer is I don't know, but certainly possible. We literally talked about long-range dreads an hour ago. So. All right, so this is very important because for the end of the war, uh, for success and for narrative and for history's sake... There needs to be win conditions that people say, this is clearly a win for A or clearly a, a win for B. And part of that is timeline. Did you, um, you can say, I won the war, but then you can say, yeah, but you went over budget by a huge amount of money. Or you didn't do it. Uh, you did it in twice the time you said you would do it. And so there's always those asterisks that you can play with, uh, narrative, uh, narratively speaking. Uh, so that's kind of what he's defending against saying, uh, I think four months is fair for this assault, which is huge. If you think about four months ago where they were and four months to attack one constellation, that tells you what's in that constellation. It's huge. So that's a ballpark. And he says, might take a long time, might take eight months. He's giving himself plenty of room because he does not want that to come back on him four months later and they're still fighting. Because again, you can demotivate your opponent by saying, you guys aren't getting anywhere. You're slipping in mud. Let's see if there's any other questions here, then we'll move on. Teltech. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Such a question. Yeah, that was a... uh, some people that came back. Jordan. Um, we've had some uh people in both the like, DD Reddit, like some of the newer people and some people that came back that want to be able to participate in uh the one DQ stuff, uh, but they are still doing their JDC five train. Would it be possible for us to maybe just have a temporary reprieve on that for the caps group, considering any fight that we take would probably be fine with JDC four? And if not, that's fine. JDC four jump drive calibration is the range that your capital can jump. And if you have that at level four and you have other people at level five, there's clearly a distance that the fives can jump that the fours can't. That's a problem when you have a group that needs to jump far away. Um, and that that's just an that's a null sec problem basically it just means like we can't all jump the same range therefore you have to do the lowest common denominator in order to keep us together so everybody has to jump at uh range four instead of five even if you have five because you might leave guys behind that have four so pro god goes on to basically say you better have five if you don't have five we'll try to figure things out for you we're going to be fighting in 1dq so it doesn't look like you'll need a large jump range anyway but if you die i'm not going to reimburse you because you should have five and that's a long train so not a small thing let's see if there's something else here altier water uh yeah Yesterday, Gobbins in their town hall said he didn't expect a super cap fight of any real size to occur. I'm just wondering what you and Billy's thoughts is on that. Okay, so now we hear the uh, legacy side of that whole criticism uh, leveled by the Imperium. 
that Gobbins doesn't want a, a big fight. We don't expect goons to uh, leave Tether. And um, maybe they will. Who knows? Uh, what I would say is I didn't listen to Gobbins' actual fireside. I heard, I saw the Reddit post, obviously, and all that. Um, we are definitely going to use our supers and titans. Now, whether there's a super or titan fight, it's kind of up to goons. So um, I don't think they'll do it in the off chance they do. Then, uh, hey, we get to kill goons, super, and titan fleet. So we'll see. But um, we will definitely be using all of the tools we have available. That I can say for sure. So if you interpreted that as we're not going to use our supers and titans and you shouldn't worry about that, that is very false. Everything will be used. No, he just said it as a personal opinion. He didn't think that one would occur. It was just I'd agree with that. I don't, I don't think goons will, will uh, use their supers and titans outside of uh, Keepstar Tether range. I don't think they... They have the nutsack too. Thank you. A little more uh, toxic masculinity there. <laughs> okay, I better stop saying that because I'm going to be saying that all day long. But that's an interesting contrast uh, to what Gobbin said. And Imperium wants to pick that apart. And they will in the next uh, fireside chat that we go to. Uh, but he's saying, nope, we want to use Titans. Uh, we want to use these big assets. Uh, we have no problem using them. And there's actually not a lot of daylight between what he's saying and what Gobbins is saying. Gobbins is saying, if you all are looking for a charge into 1DQ with everything we've got as far as supers, you're going to be disappointed. That's just strategically correct. But he also said in that same town hall, if there is a huge fight, it will be by accident and they will get involved in that. They won't not get involved with that. And ProGod is saying the same thing. He's saying, I don't think Imperium will challenge us with their uh, Titans and, you know, their big ships. Uh, but if they do, then we'll get a chance to fight those. So that's a little bravado. Because, of course, he says at the end there, they don't have the nutsack to do it, which is a, a challenge. So he's challenging right back at uh, the meta show. Uh, Motorner. But keep in mind, if they do, then we got to win that fight, um, which we will. But uh, that means everyone's got to have those Supers and Titans ready to go. Uh, so just because we don't expect them to, doesn't mean that they won't, they might, uh, you know, get a little suicidal and then everyone's got to be ready because they, they could technically win that fight if, uh, we're, we're too asleep. So everyone's got to be ready to log all those supers and Titans in. make sure they're subscribed. Don't be buying Plex as the fight's going on. It might not work. Make sure all your supers and Titans are subscribed and then T5Z. And then if goons give us an opportunity to annihilate their super and tank fleet, we certainly will take it and pay them back for that M2 bullshit. Uh, motor nerve, an announcement is not a question. So um, you can pee. Yeah, my question actually is just about doctrine. Um, you said you were going to be getting new ships. When can we actually looking at seeing that on the wiki so I can start shipping in equipment and selling on the market? Uh, you'll know when you know. When we have the information, we'll give it to you as soon as possible. Uh, I think he goes on to say more about that here. Oh, Chris Caden. Motor Nerve, check your PM on Discord. Yeah, I would just like to hear if you guys have um, like a wish list of priorities for us pilots. Yeah, like, here's what, what he talks about. What do you want us it. to focus most on on this time on to the siege? 
Yeah, I mean, we're going to need all the tools available, so we're going to have some blop stuff. You're going to need that. Everything that you can own, you should own. If you got to make you know, hard choices, try to borrow some money from a court mate, I guess. Uh, obviously, the hack fleets are still the bread and butter. Uh, we'll need to win a couple battleship fights, so a battleship is nice. Um, the blops harassment needs to be constant, so some bombers and things like that. Uh, capitals, if you can at all get them, do so. Capitals are critical. The more dreads, the better. The more carriers, the better. Uh, I will say that our carrier numbers are probably the most concerning issue. Where our carrier numbers seem to be lacking a little bit. So um, we would really stress that we need more carriers. But other than that, uh, buy what we use most, uh, which for now is hacks. Uh, we'll probably be some assault frigates too and things like that. So, yeah. All right. So that was important. I wanted to play it through. I knew he said that, that they're looking for more carriers. He'll get asked again later, uh, hey, you said you were weak on carriers. And he corrects that he's he didn't say that. He said we need more. We, we would like more carriers. Uh, I guess he does say they're a little soft on them. I don't know what the question was, but he basically corrects the, the questioner. Uh, let's see if there's anything else here, and then we'll move on to uh, the last portion of the program, which is the fireside chat coming from the Imperium. Hello. So where is Tess going to live? Because they s people were told to pull um, structures from period bases and give them to I don't know who. What's the deal on that? We've been extremely clear from the beginning that Test will live in Delve. So, like, what's in period basis goes away to Delve. We let you guys rat and mine and moon mine in period basis just because we owned it and it was a war and we wanted to give you any opportunity possible to make ISK, but period basis, I can't say who's going to end up owning it, but, uh, the only space that is 100% for test and not going to change in any way is the Delft space that we own now. Period basis might go to other alliances. So do not make any long-term plans to live in period basis. Which is what we said literally five months ago. Yes. Poor guy. Just asking a question. But uh, they make it clear. Test will live in Delft. Period basis may be given, rented out. Who knows what? But test may not be there in the future, so don't make any big plans there. Let's do this last question here. If you said that the like that our focus is going to shift, that does that mean that the fire team assignments are going to change or going to be lifted? The fire team assignments are we're still kind of debating that a little bit, but generally they're going to be relaxed. Uh, I don't know what fire teams are. I think that's their sig equivalents. Let's do one more. Hey, you guys. I just want to ask you that uh, what are our plans regarding Irmalin? I mean, there's no test structures currently in the system, and a few of us have uh, some kind of assets, <laughs> for example, in the system. Well, he's actually wrong. There is a structure there. It doesn't belong to tests, but they're blue to fraternity. Fraternity has a keep star outside of Irmalin. Irmalin is a key system in this war because it is, it is the asset safety relocation site. So anything that gets asset safety out of Delve will end up in Ermelin. That's why it is a focal point. And I think ProGuide will talk about that here. So we and, will be... Uh, how, to, how do we plan with that? Uh, and what do we do? What's the general situation? 
We have big plans for Ermelin and every low-sec system and null-sec system in Titan Jump range of Ermelin, and we will be slowly building up that area during the siege. So there will be structures. There will be lots of structures. With that being said, you can use the frat keepstar there. Yes. It's a pappy keepstar. Nina Kalari. Hey, guys. Can you hear me? Yes. Fine. Um, what's up with the SRP from the M2 fights? So, uh, Super Saiyan Titans? Uh, this we know a lot about, but he's basically asking... Have all the Titans been replaced? Uh, let's hear the answer. Uh, for the moment, we're just waiting on hulls because the hulls dried up quite uh, extensively. Uh, there's only one uh, non-many Titan owner uh, hull that's remaining as far as I'm tracking. And... Now, that's an interesting point. He says there's only one non-many Titan holder. What he's saying there is that everybody that has more than one uh, has been put aside. They don't get their... They don't get their Titan back yet because they still have a Titan to fly. So if it was your second Titan that died, then hang on. We'll get you later. But we only have one more guy that lost the only Titan he had, which uh, is an interesting little point. And uh, I imagine I'll be able to find him one eventually here shortly. Uh, but for the most part, those remaining, you know, just under a dozen Titans are... You're going to be waiting a bit. Uh, it's just the honest answer. Okay. No problem. Thank you. Uh, by the way, so those that want to know who's talking, you're having test guys uh, that have no idea who they are unless their name is called talk, ask questions. But what you're hearing are responses from uh, Pro God Legend and Vili. Uh, both voices are very recognizable. If you don't recognize them, I will call them out uh, a little bit later. Yeah, as far as the SOP goes, it's, it's, it's not an ISK problem. Um, He's still talking about Titans being given uh, bought back for people. It's a whole problem. And uh, there is an expectation, or there is a possibility that uh, Ermalin will be a, a thriving super capital market in, by summer or by winter. Uh, so the holes will be there eventually. He, ca uh, he calls them holes. <laughs> no, he says holes. Uh, but... His accent makes it sound like holes. But what he's saying is that uh, if the Imperium starts to sneak out, and some of the guys uh, get cold feet or want to just get out of this war, and they move to Ermelin, that they will probably sell their super, so there will be some uh, uh, Titans or super carriers to be bought there. And they'll buy them and they'll replace them. So he's thinking it's a matter of time before everybody gets made whole that lost a Titan in uh, M2. Okay, uh, I think this goes on. I'm not... Sure, there are any more questions that were critical, but I'm just going to skim real quick. There's already random Goon Titans for sale in the 1-2-Q public, so I assume they'll be much more viable in Ermelin soon. Yes. Uh, who was that? Yeah, Azatok. Hey, thanks. Uh, how, uh, how, how do you see our finances and the puppy finances? Are we happy with them? And uh, the related question is... Uh, are we like planning if uh, something if the battleship hulls become become very expensive and the capital is extremely expensive? Uh, what was your first part of your question? I didn't understand what you said. How are, how are our finances? Finances are than very ever. solid. Um, so yeah, we've we've pretty much fully recovered from M two. Uh, 
test itself has liquidated a lot of our illiquid assets, and we are now um, ready to make big purchases as far as whatever we need to, to assault 1DQ. And if the battleships and capitals start spiking in price, they're spiking in price for everyone. This is another, you hear goons bitching about the economy stuff constantly. It's because they actually are starting to strain under the pressure of this, and they know that the prices are only going to go up. Uh, we're not as worried about it. Um, we've got plenty of money, and we're prepared to spend whatever we need to spend to drive goons out of 1DQ. So if the prices go up, we'll just bite the bullet and uh, pay them. That was Pro God Legend. Hey, uh, so just two quick questions. I, I heard you talking about uh, carriers as a priority. Was there a carrier in particular or a class of carriers you're looking at? And uh, as a new person, I'm, I'm kind of seeing a lot of increased activity, uh, especially uh, gate camps and that from goons as we've kind of trapped them in a corner. Other than standing up these flash form fleets in the near future uh what are we planning to do about that okay we'll get to that question in a second uh one thing i wanted to point out that i didn't earlier and that i think is critical to this whole um town hall and pro god said it earlier and he just repeated it flash forming that is going to be a big part of the next few months of this war as uh reaction speed and size of people fighting is going to be really important for victories. So he said that earlier on, that it's important you guys be ready to uh, get in there as quickly as possible. As soon as you're called, don't get caught trying to sub your Titan account because that may take you the five or six minutes that you don't have. You need to get right into the fight. Uh, Matani says the same thing to his guys uh, in the fireside. Uh, it's it's going to be organic, um, and it's going to be constantly evolving. So we might form a new SIG. We might reorganize the fire teams in a, in a weird way to deal with it. We might do a standing fleet. We don't know yet. I mean, we have a, a plan on how to deal with it in a variety of ways. Uh, we've already talked about internally in Pappy Leadership the three or four ways that we're going to organize our, our constant harassment. But um, one thing we've... One thing we've done well throughout the war is uh, not gone into any situation with uh, a too uh, plan that is too hard to adjust or, or too complex. Um, we're, we're pretty good at kind of putting stuff together on the fly, uh, which works way better because um, you can adjust to what your enemy is doing really quickly. So we're going to see how they play things. Um, we already have a good idea of how they're going to play things because they keep telling their members how to do it. Uh, and we've got goons pretty thoroughly penetrated now at the, the leadership levels as far as spies are concerned. Um, that's so, huge. If true, that's huge. And it could be, but well, you never know, know uh, that they have goon swarm penetrated at the highest levels as far as spies, which means they have information from close circles to where the decisions are made. That's a huge advantage in a war. Now, He's just saying that it could be something that he says to get out into the public to make leadership in the Imperium paranoid that they have a spy and they need to figure out who it is. These games go both ways. Uh, but he's he seems to kind of just uh, uh, leisurely throw that comment out that they basically know what the Imperium is going to do because they have them uh, connected with a spy. Um, so we're not going to overcommit 
to doing anything more than we need to do uh, organizational-wise, um, just because, you know, every hour we spend writing form pings or adjusting our auth groups is one less hour we have FC fleets or uh, moving minerals around. Um, we'll see how it plays out is basically my, my uh, answer to that. Uh, Ninja Tater. Hi, I, th I think you already answered this, but I want to ask it anyway. Um, will regular cap SRP payouts increase with the expected increase in cost of capital ships? Important. Uh, the production and harvesting has just changed a couple days ago, and everything is going to become more expensive in the ship line of uh, the game right now. We expect everything will become more expensive because it will take a lot more resources from a variety of areas. Therefore, upping the scale of man hours that needs to be put into uh, collecting the stuff. And that gets rolled into the price of the actual unit. So he's asking if you're going to replace ships, are you going to replace them at a higher level since they're going to become more expensive? And that's an interesting question right now as everybody transitions from old cheap prices to new expensive prices. All of our SRP is always supposed to increase based on the cost of the ship. Now, sometimes it lags behind a little bit, but that's mostly just an organizational thing. It's not a uh, SRP is supposed to match the cost. So yes, if, if cost goes up, SRP will go up. And if we need to drop it, we'll let you know. But assume it will until we say otherwise. Can I say something about SRP? Sure. I don't know who this is. I think it's the SRP lieutenant that hands out uh, the replacements. Uh, but it's a test official. So we just adjusted a whole bunch of SRP prices like three or four days ago. Um, almost all of them increasing. <laughs> We do SRP prices on like a two-week average, so it does lag a little bit as prices go are going up, but we'll keep adjusting them to keep tracking the GDA prices. And so there you have it. I think I think he speaks a little more. Let's see. City and Merck. No, different question. Ah, yes. Um, quick question. If we have neutral Hector pilots and Recon pilots that can um, camp out certain systems in Delft to watch for enemy trying to escape, um, who can we contact to get those? That's a technical question. It won't be that interesting to you. Okay. Um, so at the beginning of the war, I think it's safe to say that we had just like dreadnought caches for days. And now it's kind of shifted more towards carriers being necessary and not dreads. Ah, see, he made an assumption shifting away from dreads and onto carriers, and you'll see he gets corrected really quickly by Progard. Uh, if you lose your last dread, you will definitely get SRP. Um, we do have dreads available. We've got more faxes than anything now because we've lost a lot of those dreads, but we still have dreads available, we still have carriers available. We will do everything we can to get you in a new dread as quickly as possible. Um, now... As far as favoring carriers over dreads, uh, that's not what I said. Uh, what I said is we are low on carriers and we would like to have more of them. And so we want you to prioritize getting more carriers. Uh, but we also need more dreads. You can never have enough dreads. And dreads are still very, very valuable. There is no part of the capital escalation change that is not important at this current time. That is what I'll uh, escalation chain. That is what I'll tell you right now. 
as a fleet commander pro god legend saying there's no part of the capital escalation chain that is not important and what he is saying is that you need to have dreads available you need to have repair ships faxes available you need to have carriers which are fighter deployers available you need to have motherships or i keep calling them motherships but they're super carriers or titans you need to have as many of those available to you as possible because the the escalation pattern will go through all of those because one counters the other uh, Chris Caden. Uh, I just wanted to bring up uh, the SRP thing again with the TFI. I know that uh, that value has been updated, but it's still lacking almost 120 million. They get that worked out. That's just uh, um, prices again will be paid a two week lag. And so he's saying, hey, the, you guys are paying us, I think it was. Uh, 80% instead of 100%. He's saying that's that's getting fixed, but Vili comes in and says, don't worry, you're not going to be using those anytime soon, and we'll, that'll catch up by the time that you use TFIs. Sorry, quick one more. Um, regarding dreads, do you foresee any need for high-angle weapon dreads, or should we refit them to bomb dreads? Uh, bomb? Bomb dreads are dread bombs. They're not bombers. Uh, so basically, those are... Uh, close range, heavy duty damage to big uh, ships. Haw dreads or high angle dreads are ships that, uh, sorry, that's a fitting that shoots little ships that are around you. So you can drop haw dreads in a subcapital fight where you have smaller ships that need to be destroyed. That's what Goonswarm just did or the Imperium just did yesterday when they wiped out a bunch of Feroxes and Eagles, I believe, uh, with uh, dreads. <clears throat> They're using high angle weaponry for that. But what he's saying is bomb dreads those are close range, big damage, up close uh, to big structures, big ships. Uh, bomb dreads are always the standard fit that you should have fit first. Um, we usually have enough people with a second dread that's haw that we don't have to tell you to, to have the haw first. But uh, we all, if you only have one dread, it should always have the bomb dread fit on it standard because that's the most important thing to have ready at the drop of the hat. Um, so other than that, get haul guns if you can. Uh, we, we, our haul dread numbers actually aren't that bad. So I, I don't think I have to tell you that every dread needs to have hauls. If you can have hauls, have them. If it's, if it's going to be stressful for you or, or heavy on your pocketbook, it's not something that we're desperate for. Uh, more haul dreads is better. Keep getting more hauls if you can, but this is not something we're desperate for, so. They are different rigs, so they will probably best to be a different dread. Key oh, point sure. there. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, key um, point there. Yeah. Uh, let me actually stop it. Uh, he says there are different uh, rigs, and so rigs are a part of the, they're the modification of the ship. Once you put that modification in, you cannot take it out without destroying the modification, which costs you money. So it's a loss of uh, uh, money. And what he's saying is that if you have a dreadnought that is outfitted to do one thing, you can't just switch it over to do another without losing some money. And so that's why they have to reconsider, like, you know, maybe you need to have one for bombing and one for haws uh, separate, and they cannot be mixed. So have two instead of one that you move both ways. Okay. Uh, Han Solo. And... um. Any other questions, please put below the line. We're going to cut this off in seven minutes. So, uh, Hansela. 
Yeah, uh, so who do we contact if we catch a big toy and we need like an ASAP dread bomb? So that's question, if uh, if he happens to tackle a big ship, who does he call in order to bring in the, uh, basically the orbital strike? Like how does he call in a dread bomb? You just need to add DDFC and skirm in general for now. There's really no other way to do it. You and basically you don't call for one person, you call for a whole team and that's on their discord probably. If you drop an at DDFC. And they'll go on to explain that. That's why I'm zooming past this. There are several NICs available for 35 billion at the moment. Yeah. Now they're talking about, I think this whole meeting starts to uh, finish up. Um, it's a staggering number. Let's see what he's talking about there. We're provided by Goonswarm. All right, this sounds interesting. Let's see how he teases Goonswarm. Yes. It's important to remember, in most of those situations, all you're doing is you're taking a capital asset from Goons and moving it to us. You know, like... Ah, okay. So this question, and this actually is important. I'll go back. He's basically, this guy is asking, hey, if there's stuff on sale, should we buy it? Uh, because it will be from Goonswarm who is selling it. And if we do that, aren't we putting money in their coffers? Isn't that a bad thing? Uh, you know, all I would say is that... um. You know, you're not helping goons out. You are helping the smart goons who have now woken up and realizing how hopeless and, and stupid their cause is. So you're helping the you're helping the individuals that already have a foot out the door. Yes, it's important to remember in most of those situations, all you're doing is you're taking a capital asset from goons and moving it to us. You know, like much as we've seen with the shortage of you know supercaps that's now happening throughout the universe a little bit. Um, the issue is no longer money, it's now assets themselves. This would be a good time to point out that over the course of this war, a large chunk of our Dreadcash and a lot of our replacement Titans and Supers were provided by Goonswarm. Um, they, uh, they have this idea that they, you know, 40 billionist Titans was a good thing for them, and it was, but uh, it, it made it easy for us. Like, We've probably purchased Pappy, the entirety of Pappy has probably purchased over 50% of the Titans and Supers in 1DQ over the course of this war that have been on the market. Um, it's a staggering number. Uh, it, into it, the it, hundreds. Into the hundreds, yes. Yikes. So, yeah. Huge statement Yeah, there. don't worry about that. Uh, excellent. I did it again. I muted up because uh, I do that when I type. All right, well, I'm back. You guys can hear me. Uh, it isn't a, it isn't a show unless I mute myself a few times. Uh, so let me go back and tell you just the crux of what I just said, and I'll go ahead and erase that from earlier. Okay, so uh, what I was saying was there was a real contrast between what the uh, Gobbins was doing and the way he was messaging, and the way that Vili and Progod are messaging to their guys. So where you have a lot more passion and emotion from test. You have Vili laughing at how much they've destroyed. You see the swagger from and the easiness. <laughs> the the Matthew McConaughey kind of pro-God legend of like, yeah, this is, you know, this is easy. We got this. Uh, you guys need to show up. This is historic. Be ready to form. There's a real confidence there that they're projecting. Uh, but it is a, kind of a flippant insults towards the Imperium, uh, basically saying how their story is that they're just going to crash and burn, and that's how it's going to go. But you see a lot of messaging going out uh, to their guys saying, uh, you guys are awesome, and we got this. 
Whereas Gobbins is taking a different approach. He seems to be a lot more clinical about it. He's a lot more... Um, you guys can hear me, right? Because I'm nervous now. <laughs> yeah, good. I saw somebody commenting real confidence. Good. So uh, Gobbins is a lot more methodical. He's much more... Uh, he pays attention to details. He over-explains things. He doesn't assume anything because he's really trying to give his members the information that they need. There's not a lot of passion in it. He's not dismissive at all. Uh, so he's uh, basically saying uh, the realistic form of this is a methodical approach. And he doesn't say like, uh, if, if goons show titans will match those titans. There's nothing like that. He basically says, FCs get into situations where titans are used by accident. He spends a lot of time talking about the server and the actual nuts and bolts of how a server works. He talks about mistakes that they made by double reinforcing a node and how that was unforeseen. And so a lot of Gobbins' town hall is about giving the information that he's dealing with to his players. Totally different leadership style going on there. Different messaging. I think Gobbins is really talking to his guys. And I think... Vili and Progod are talking to their guys, trying to puff them up a bit, but also putting it out there in the public, how good they feel. And there's different things going on there. And interestingly, I said this earlier, uh, Dunk is usually a very uh, jovial guy talking about how uh, great they're going. It almost feels like a small town. He's a great father figure in that way. That might age him a bit, but he's a great like big brother in that sense. And so what he's trying to do is make people um, uh, calm because they have now transitioned into Aquarius. That's the message that he gets out. But then he slips into a different mode. When he starts talking about the war, he's, he's a lot closer to what Vili and Progod are doing, talking about how they got this. They're going to be methodical. And he's uh, from a technical engineering style background. Isn't everybody an Eve? So his approach is, we're going to take this step by step. Nothing's going to stop us. But then I've confirmed that he, his presentation came after the meta show. So I am pretty sure that he saw the meta show. Maybe. I'm just assuming here. And he answered that. And that's what that little twist of, you know, it really kind of got darker and said, death is coming. Doom is coming. There's nothing you can do about it. Post all you want. Make all the nicknames you want. There's nothing you can do. This is your destruction. And it was very bleak. You know, it was very dark and heavy. So I think, uh, yeah, Dark Dinkle, that's a great name for that. Um, it wasn't that bad, right? Because it's Dunk and he's super, he's a super great guy. But he was specifically saying a certain portion that are uh, ship posters are the ones that he was talking to. He likes the other Imperium guys. Thumbs up for those guys. But you guys that are being nasty uh, towards Brave... That's who he's aiming for. But I think he was also aiming for leadership because leadership blasted Gobbins just hours earlier. Okay. So now I've set you up for the finale. You guys want to keep going or should we do this tomorrow? You tell me. Uh, I will prep just in case we go do this. Now this is a fireside. It's only 30 minutes. I think we can do it. All right, let's do it. Uh, so this is the next day 
all this other stuff has happened already, right? And I'll give you the order again, because I'm certain of it now. Gobbins comes out, says, no big fight, don't look for it. We're going to do this methodical. Uh, Matani does the meta show. And at first is like, yeah, I can understand that because, wow, CCP has inflated the prices of ships. I would think about it too. He's kind of reasonable. And they talk more about that. Then halfway through the show, after 30 minute mark, Merkel Chen says, I don't know why you guys are talking about all this math homework. Let's talk about gobbins. What a shitbird. And goes into this huge, these guys are massive cowards. And for the rest of the show, it's toxic masculinity about how weak gobbins is, which is really unfortunate. But that's the way they decided to twist it. And the response to that is, I believe, uh, Progod and Vili have their meeting. I don't know if it was before or after a meta show. Actually, I think it could have been at the same time. But they're talking in terms of swagger and, uh, hey, the uh, Imperium's in real trouble because they're talking about, you know, how asset safety works and all this other stuff. And that must have been from spy channels. Um, so that's what happens. But the interesting part for me on the public level is Dunk Dinkle's return fire. And so he just, I think, aims squarely at that toxicity and says, uh, there's nothing you can do. Your toxicity means nothing. We're going to take you down and you know it and we know it. it's going to happen. So here's the response after all that. Matani comes back, does the fireside, and he is livid. In fact, the first question that he gets after he does his diatribe is, wow, why did you get angrier a day after the meta show where you were already kind of angry? So it's kind of funny. Let's listen to the Matani leader of the Imperium uh, on Sunday. Being a complete asshole. Yeah, you can uh, grab a drink, uh, take a piss, do what you got to do. We're going to get started here when the numbers uh, stop going up. Uh, real quick here, uh, had a question. Uh, did we ever get a fitting checker thing for supers? Uh, I know that we have a fitting checker thing. Uh, I know that it's up and active if somebody here can link it in the chat. I'm not sure whether it's been upgraded for supers yet. You can ask in the uh, super tits channels, which are no longer super tits. And if it's on soon.tm duty, I will uh, make a note to poke the uh, appropriate people. Thank you, Magnus. Soon TM for the super fits. All right. All right, boys and girls, uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. If you're confused about why there's a fireside chat on Sundays, that's because we do these on Sundays now. Uh, and I'm really glad that we do, because yesterday was a perfect example of why we're doing these now. Uh, it is an interesting thing to watch the enemy give speeches and talk and say things and then have a full night to think about it and consider uh, what I'm going to say. I'm not necessarily uh, going to commit to the quality of my fireside's increasing, but it was interesting. It made it very clear to me that we were sort of giving away free intel and free opportunities to the enemy for years for me doing these things on Saturdays and then letting them do it on Sundays. So here we are. I want to make sure uh, before we get started here, uh, somebody has already linked the, uh, let's take a look at this particular one. I want to get a link to Gobbins' little town hall in, uh, in Elysium for people to see. We have a, uh, a couple of these. There we go. This is quite relevant to everything because it shows us a lot of things, not just about the enemy's plans, which I expected that they would go this way. It's been clear for a little while. What I did not expect is that they would say this uh, not just on Gobbins' town hall, but uh, Dunk Dinkle did a similar sort of video for Brave, uh, reiterating that they are eager to disappoint everyone who has been involved in this war 
with the most cowardly options that they have available and that they do not want to have big fights. Well, uh, I have some news. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a flying fuck what they want. I don't give a flying fuck what they think. And we're going to fucking turn this thing into a hellscape apocalypse when they come into 1DQ1. I don't care if it's with battleships. I don't care if it's some sort of wacky, you know, what is it? A Thunderchild doctrine that they've gotten their CSMs together about or whatever, whatever bullshit it is that these fucking cowards want to bring to our house. We're going to fight. But... Before we get into the Herfblurf, there's some backstory here that I want to touch on for a little bit. So, this goes back about, what, fuck, five years now? Uh, we're going to talk about the Casino War. Okay, before we get into that, which is kind of funny, he's taking it back there. Um, so what he's done so far is just set it up, basically saying, this is Sunday, that was Saturday, I heard what they said, and now he's lumping Dunk right in there with Gobbins, so it's quite obvious uh, that he heard uh, Dunk's message too. Now, uh, we're going to talk about the Casino War. At the time of the Casino War, many of these same motherfuckers got together in their little money badger coalition. The difference between now and then is that we didn't have citadels. Nobody had citadels. They had casino money, which was banned by CCP the moment the war was over. And uh, we had a very different coalition structure. There was a lot of things that were different then. Uh, but it's important because one of the things that I had as a takeaway from the Casino War experience was that if these motherfuckers didn't have untouchable, unattackable, infinite isk, that even if the entire galaxy came at us, we would be able to survive and thrive, and they, they wouldn't be able to stand against us. The biggest issue was we couldn't do a damn thing about their source of isk because it came from gambling addictions. People were using things like Somer Blink, that money was then, and I want to isk, was funneling that money to buy all the mercenaries in the galaxy and fund everything that these people who are now pappy, the same motherfuckers, are doing against us. Now, why am I talking about this? Why are we going all the way back to bring up the casino war? Because for the most of this war, I haven't really talked about it too much. And one of the reasons I haven't talked about it too much is that up until yesterday, I wasn't entirely sure whether I was right. Because I thought I was right. I was pretty, pretty sure, like 98% sure I was right. But it's another thing entirely when your enemy independently confirms in public everything that you were saying. So now that Gobbins has, uh, I guess, decided to roll around in all of this rope, uh, we are going to, uh, well, whatever. <laughs> Watch him hang himself with it. Whatever sort of reference or analogy you want to use here. I have to be careful in saying mean things because these people have onion skins and they will cry about how I'm awful at the slightest opportunity. But uh, I'm going to cry that he's awful because, again, there's a ton of uh, garbage on the meta show. And I don't think anybody that listens to it, I think with a fair mind, can say that wasn't a pretty ugly display. It will come back because it's going to happen here, too. But, yeah, I don't think he's awful, but I think his behavior is awful. We're going to talk about how awful they are and what cowards they are. And how bereft of their isk, it appears that suddenly these guys don't have their fucking balls. Because suddenly, when they don't have an infinite, unattackable source of isk, which was involved in laundering RMT and banned by CCB, they hate this. Gobbin specifically absolutely hates any reference to the casino war. So I encourage you all to make sure that none of these guys 
get to live it down. As Merkelchen pointed out on the Meta Show yesterday, these are the kids who call the cops on the cool parties because they despise the fact that we have more fun than them and they envy us. And now, at the moment of truth. By the way, I don't think that's true at all. Uh, it's a metaphor for they want to be like us. When you do that, what you're saying is we're cool. They're not. You're drawing distinctions. Religions do this. Uh, political parties do this. Everybody does this. This needs to, to, to get a group to stick together. They have to draw a line. But the way they do that is to say who's not invited. And if they're talking to you and they're pointing to somebody else saying they're not invited, by default, that means you are invited, so you're special, they're not. And that's how you manipulate a group. Now we get to talk about the casino war, because these little bitches have publicly cowered... Oh, I think I accidentally rewound. Let me jump ahead here. And by the way, the casino war, there's very few people who know more about it than I do, because I was involved on both sides of that war, and I was deep into I Want Isk interviewing those guys from their perspective. So take everybody in this game, and I'm one of the top guys that knows about the casino war. Uh, and I wrote about it, and I wrote a, like a 4,000-word article on uh, the actual growing... I also did a, a speech on it in eVegas in 2018 or 17. Yeah, 2017. And I explained what some of the the backstory was, and it was multiple reasons for it. But one thing you'll always hear from the guys that were on the Money Badger Coalition is the money got us started. It ensured that we would start the war. It didn't ensure that we would finish it. The momentum ensured that, and I believe that's true. So uh, here we go with uh, some more uh, Matani talking about uh, his opponents. Everything we were saying before was correct. That bereft of an infinite source of cheated isk, these bitches go for cowardice because they don't know what to do as long as Goonstorm and the Imperium keeps fighting. And we refuse to go away because we know they don't have the unattackable isk because we know that they're a bunch of spineless pieces of shit cowards. They need three to one odds to come at us. I want to stop there. Three to one odds is a misnomer. It's something they've been saying a long time on the Imperium side. Three to one odds. I keep seeing that erroneous number out there. If you look at any of the battles, they are not three to one, especially super capital fights are not three to one. They're almost even one one. If you look at all the uh, stuff involved in M2, that's the strength check. And that was pretty much um, even as far as the super capitals. And it was a little lopsided, I think 6,000 to 4,000. That's not three to one. And if you look at and we've done sampling uh, every few weeks of the amount of combatants that are actually fighting this. It's more like a two, I would say like a 1.8 to a 2.3 in that range, depending on the fight. That's what the odds you're looking at. Clearly, Imperium is outnumbered, not three to one, more like two to one, and a lot of times less than that. But it depends on the fight. And they're still hesitating at the gates. They're right next fucking door. Like, what the fuck were they thinking? Well, we know what they were thinking. We know that they were thinking that you would break and that you would run. 
and that they would never have to worry about this because if they just rolled one to Q1 and made goons run away, then all of those mean things that the goons were saying about the casino war would be proven wrong. Well, thank you, Gobbins, for proving it fucking right, you pathetic piece of shit. Now that you are next door, after all of this stuff, you're telling the entire player base and your own people that there's don't expect a massive battle for 1DQ1? I have never seen such a public display of weakness and cowardice as I have from the leadership of Pappy. And it's not just Gobbins. Fucking Dunk Dinkle is out there saying the same thing. Now, I would expect a fight because I don't expect the guys like Vince or ProGod to just sit on their asses like pussies like these motherfuckers. So I want you all, regardless of what these fucking Casino War era, Dark Money isk relying motherfuckers are saying about how there's not going to be a big battle for 1DQ1, you are going to prepare for a major fucking battle for 1DQ1. I don't give a shit what these bitches say. Fuck them. So what does that preparation look like? It's a lot wait, of the same thing. Uh, wait, wait there. Before you run on, uh, a couple of things. Gobbins had nothing to do with, uh, or very little to do with the uh, World War B or, uh, I forget what the other, uh, Casino War had very little to do with that. I don't remember him playing a, a major role in it. <clears throat> um, also, uh, he says a number of things here. He he makes a distinction between Vince Draken and uh, I think Pro God actually, uh, who basically said, "Yeah, we'll fight with our tight." I don't know. Vince didn't. I can't talk for Vince. I don't know what he said, but he's the kind of guy that loves fighting with big ships. He he's a he's a brawler that way, old school. Pro God Legend is on record in public saying, yeah, we'll bring our Titans. Yeah, heck yeah, we're going to do that. So what he's doing is rewarding that kind of thinking and diminishing the cowardice style thinking that of the methodical approach. Because again, the Matani's goal is to provoke them into a fight that Imperium can possibly win. Uh, because the slow methodical approach is a lot harder for them to defend against. Things that we have been saying in the last several weeks. Oh, here's something that he goes into that's important. And Brogod said the same thing only briefly, but the Mitanni is now telling his guys, you have to be fast. Again, speed and numbers are the name of the next few months. That's the name of the game, the next few months. The difference is these guys have now said the quiet part out loud. They have said things in public to their own people that I never thought that they would. My God, I keep rewinding. What the hell? Let me find it, sorry. I want to remind you, last time they had... That is no fun going back and listening to this. And so it's okay. Because it's not just Gobbins and Dunk out there. There's a lot of leaders within Pispy, and some of them will hopefully find their balls. So we need to assume worst-case scenarios, and we need to talk about some things of, hey, let's say that they actually do bring it, and that we falter and we fail and something goes hellishly wrong and everything goes boom. Well, what does that actually mean? Because one of the biggest risks that we have in the face of these cowards is not actually the cowards next door. One of the biggest risks we have is overestimating them and people freaking out and not being able to understand the exact level of risk that we are now facing here, right? So that means we're going to be talking about asset safety, because I want you guys to understand how asset safety works 
and I might have to tag some people in here for some of the gory details of it, but in particular. Okay, so he's made a skillful transition from talking about how they are the lions, but in case the worst case scenario happens, let's go through that. And so now he's talking about what the contingency plans are, and that's a good thing because it shows people that you're prepared for a bad situation, even though you're going to have the good situation. I need you to not be evacuating mission critical things because it is perfectly safe to asset safety that stuff out. And we have enough money to do any kind of, uh, this is actually going to be one of the, the plans is if something actually does go hellishly wrong, we have enough isk in the war bond system. The way that asset safety works is that we can just buy everything we need out, right? If we end up in a scenario where everything does go boom and that there are Titans that are in the Imperial palace and it does get destroyed, goes into asset safety we will as an organization make sure that we can do the finance to buy everybody that needs it out of it right so you don't have to worry about that the imperium has you covered when it comes to asset safety for titans or supers so keep your shit here we're gonna be fighting interesting and that's the first time i've detected that he stipulates Imperium has you covered for asset safety costs because there's going to be huge fees for asset safety now that everything's gone up in price but he says it only for super capitals and titans. And so what I think he's trying to do is say, don't leave. Don't take your stuff out now. Uh, we'll cover your expenses if you need to get it out of asset safety. We're going to need it anyway as a group if we end up in asset safety. Uh, but we'll cover it. That's on our dime, not yours. Don't sweat that. That may be a move to keep people from switching sides or leaving early. I think that's what that's about. Um, the thing about it is, if we saw yesterday's program, uh, asset safety for a Titan has jumped up to 26 billion ISK. Right now it's at seven, or it was at seven. Now it's going to be at 26 billion. That's a huge difference. Multiply that uh, 26 billion uh, by as many Titans as they might move to asset safety, and you're talking a lot of money, trillions maybe. Maybe. Uh, 200, I can imagine... At 26 billion, 10 is 260 billion. That's just 10. Imagine they have 100. That's 2 trillion, 3 trillion. That's a lot of money just in fees to get the Titan out of storage in 30 days if they end up going there. So uh, a big deal, a big change. That's a big commitment uh, for them. And maybe that's why ProGuard was say, saying they won't have any money uh, to pay back bonds if they uh, asset safety out and have no home thing is if you if you're like new to this entire like asset safety situation if you're old school it's a 15 percent uh haircut essentially and a time delay to get your shit out so compared to the great war or essentially anything before this asset safety stuff kicked in uh it is uh it's a pretty good insurance policy i i personally think it's kind of ridiculous i'm not a huge fan of asset safety i never have been a fan of asset safety uh but it is what it is and it means that when we are contemplating fighting this thing out all of our war plans for fighting this thing out, including this warning about asset safety and talking about it, uh, was something that we wrote down to talk to you guys about yesterday in the Illum meeting before Gobbins got up and revealed how tiny his fucking balls are in front of the entire galaxy. So this asset safety stuff here on notes that we're going through is pre-Gobbins, pre-Dunk, coward time. But we're still going to treat this in case, you know, Vince Draken gets the wheel and somebody who has actual balls decides to try to roll us. So I don't... Again, making a distinction between brave people who are going to run into battle and methodical people who are uh, a lot more calculating. And you don't hear Gobbins speak in this way at all. And he's also speaking publicly. 
Uh, this is Mitanni to his own people. Contrast Gobbins to his people. Completely different style. I want you guys to go, oh my God, we might get our stuff blown up. Uh, let's go through what that means so you understand, because we have a lot of work ahead of us. And if these fucking cowards break and run or we kill them or we get rolled in any of these different scenarios, what comes after is vengeance. What comes after is vengeance. None of these people can stop our Titan fleet. We have crushed them in M2. We have more than them. And no matter how this goes down in the 1DQ1 thing, we are not going to be stopping. These people have tried to exterminate Goonswarm. They've told everyone that you are awful human beings in the real world. They clap for that shit. You will not let them forget it. And we are not going to be done. These motherfuckers want to talk about post-war this, post-war that. They can try to get out of this, but they have well and truly pissed off the Imperium. And we are not going anywhere and we will be visiting them wherever they hide for years exactly as we did after the casino war we will never let these motherfuckers forget their cheating in the casino war their cowardice when they had their infinite isk cheats taken away and the fact that when it came time to fuck or walk they couldn't get it up so here we are so some more masculine references there I know you're talking to other guys, uh, so maybe that's just how you think you can get under their skin, but it seems uh, juvenile. I hate to keep criticizing it, but if this were a wormhole group that was say talking like this, I would do the same thing. If it was a low set group, I would do the same thing. I'm being consistent about uh, what kind of behavior to respect and what not to, and there's a lot of toxic masculinity going through the messaging that's coming out, uh, really calling into question... Um, kind of directly, but indirectly, uh, other people's masculinity. Let's go on. The risk with the asset safety stuff isn't a military loss. If you guys freak out and you get a morale loss or something, and then they then, you know, oh, boo, scary, boo. It's, I, I, I don't know. I'm going to try to tell you guys to not be scared and not, to not, like, worry about this too much. Again, this part of the speech was planned yesterday when we had these meetings before these guys basically just curled up into the fetal position and cried pathetic tears through various leadership outlets and various town halls yesterday. Stunning. Absolutely stunning. How am I supposed to talk to you guys about asset safety when Gobbins is going, this is a massive disappointment if you're expecting a big fight because your fucking cheats were taken away, you little bitch. All right. So we talked about no more anchoring. I, I'm pissed. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm not going to hide it. I don't think I am hiding it. I, I just, I didn't expect that these guys would just pants themselves like this yesterday. I did not expect that they would get up there and say, yeah, when it comes to the moment of truth, we planned this because they planned this war for a while. There was a lot that went into this thing. Now, I want to point out, he says he is angry and it's real. Uh, and I think that is from Dunk Dinkle's message. It's my assumption, but I feel like that's the one because he's changed since, uh, Gobbins did his speech and Matani criticized him. And then when Merkel Chen made fun of Gobbins, Matani jumped right in and channeled that. But he's come back with a whole nother level of anger. And I think it's the message that came from Dunk that has got Matani worked up. Now we called them on it early, right? When we announced that they were going to be attacking us back in June, when we retreated from Cloud Ring in the north and we started doing our thing, we saw that this thing was coming. We started putting in our preparations, blah, blah, blah. It's just taken a long ass time for us to get to this point. 
it is clear that they never had a plan to actually storm 1DQ1 because they expected that you would give up and break. And obviously, we knew that that would not happen. We planned accordingly. I did not anticipate that they would basically just piss and shit themselves yesterday and do it in a town hall format in front of the entire goddamn galaxy. It's just genuinely fucking pathetic. Okay, let me take a look at my notes here. So I want to talk about... Uh, I don't think he's reading notes. <laughs> I need to go through a little bit of less herf and uh, take some questions from you guys as we go through this. But I, I warn you, there might be more herf because I'm just, I'm just stunned. Never, ever, and this is important for all of you, in all of your interactions with your enemy, never let them forget the cheats in the casino war because they hate it. And now they've proven, they've proven that if they don't have the infinite isk because the cost has gone up, that suddenly their balls shrink in proportion to their wallets or their ability to escape consequences. It is stunning. Absolutely stunning. Let me take some questions. How do I get more pissed from the meta show to today? I've had a chance to process it, and at first, it, it, that's a good question. So this was from uh, Liquidium is asking me, how did I get more pissed off today from yesterday? Uh, <laughs> I love it's not that question. just getting myself riled up for a fireside and having uh, you know, uh, some time to sleep on it or whatever. Uh, yesterday, this was just a Gobbins town hall, right? At the time that the meta show had happened, Gobbins has, had done his thing. Uh, and, you know, whatever, it's Gobbins. Uh, then Dunk did the same thing. And we have seen some discussions from the previous test town hall that Priggles did. Looking back on it, you can actually see the outline of their coward plan. Uh, the difference is, is that Dun Gobbins and Dunk said the quiet part out loud. Uh, if you go back and look at the pro god thing, you can see the outlines of this. Let's just do subcaps only. Let's be pure cowards because the Imperium crushed our Titan fleet and we're weak and running out of isk and out of balls. So you can see the outlines of this. It's just what has changed is not just Goblin saying it out loud, Dunk saying it out loud. Then we did a little digging and looked back at some of the things that these piss pee bitches were saying and go, oh, hey, this isn't an outlier. This is actually what their thing is because they didn't have an answer for 1DQ1 because they didn't have an answer for not having infinite isk and they didn't have an answer for us not giving up. Okay, so you remember he says on the meta show, I think his sign-off is we're not going to give Pappy any uh, reward by surrendering or giving in or saying that they affected them in any way. Like that is feeding your enemy a victory. Uh, and so I think when he refers to why he's angry, and he does it a couple times, uh, he's referring to a bunch of things, but in each one of those, you hear Dunk. So I think Dunk got to him, but he doesn't want to give the satisfaction to Dunk or anyone that he got under his skin. But I think this is Dunk under Matani's skin. It's pretty clear to me now. But we'll go into these questions here, and I think we'll wrap up uh, in about 10 minutes. So here we are, and that's why I am more pissed today than I was yesterday, because there's been more cowardness, more weakness, more spineless little bitches making excuses. And I know, and it makes me happy, that when some of them hear this, they'll be very angry that I mean to them. But I don't treat anything that Pispy says in good faith, because I know who they are. I know what they've done. I know their excuses. And how can you have respect for an opponent like that? It's just disgusting. It's pathetic. They should, they should either stop wasting their members' time and attack 1DQ1 or fuck off back to their pathetic little holes to contemplate what happens when they come at the Imperium without infinite isk sheets. Suddenly, suddenly, things are very different. I wonder why.
I don't like it when people whisper into my ear, especially other men. It's just a thing. Okay. Thank you. So one of the things that I have here from the edge, which is a bit more military and practical rather than me just being angry. I mean, it's just disgusts me that these people have gone for 11, like nine months, whatever times of fucking blur. It's 2020 months of that. And now we're in 2021 that they have gone all of this and just schlepping right next door to the fucking, you know, the Imperial palace. And then this, this is what they have to offer us as they get gear up to siege one to q1 just excuses and weak it's just pathetic it is pathetic i am disgusted by it i'm also vindicated and i enjoy being vindicated because it has proven everything i was saying about the casino war and the infinitist cheats so you know whatever i guess i should be handing gobbins a gold star but i'm going to talk about something practical here it's very hard for me to not get riled up again and start just spitting my contempt towards the foe, uh, it, I do the red mist kind of gets in the way sometimes. and I get, I, get a, I get a little feisty. Something that we don't want to talk about. People who want to be helpful can hang around the constellation in 1DQ1, 1DQ1 constellation in like an astro uh, or a, uh, you know, an astro to go after the hostile bombers or a Hecate uh, for the T3 cruisers that are harassing the jammer. So we actually have uh, seen an uptick in jammer harassment. I'm sure you've all seen it. Uh, the bad guys are sending in bombers. They're sending in T3 cruisers. They're doing a bunch of rando shit just to try to poke you, to scare you, to make you log off because they don't know how to make you go to Saarinen and they got nothing. So to de <laughs> Well, that was pretty cool there. We starts talking strategy and then you're like, yeah, I'm into this and stuff, but he's, uh... Um, he's trying to break it down for his guys, like what's what's going on, and uh, and here he here he goes. Deal with these harassment attacks. If you want to help out, you want to develop your F two as an independent PVPer, uh, then take an Astro out there and just keep eyes on these jammers, keep eyes on all of these other things, and uh, take them out because it'll make it a lot easier for us. We won't have to expend any real effort uh, if the guys that are trying to do harassment on jammers are just getting zonked by uh, goon heroes and Astros uh, or Hecates. So we have uh, some other news that's coming next week that we'll be releasing. Uh, the finance team is working on a few interesting topics. Uh, so there is more afoot. We're going to be going into that next week, though. Let me take some questions. Are we on the passive side of our defense? How do we force these guys to leave? We're posting up on the fucking walls here. They, are, they outnumber us three to one. Just because they are a bunch of cowards doesn't mean that they don't outnumber us. Now, in a lot of these other off-time zone battles, the balance of forces is something that's much more in our favor, particularly when it comes to U.S. time zone, which is where they need to start hacking this iHub. However, until that time, until we, uh, you know, I, I think that the best thing for us to do between now and then is to have them attack us and for us to beat them. And then once that has happened, then we'll see where we're going. I'm not going to be talking on a fireside about like hitting T5ZI. That is extremely premature. Uh, and in terms of balance of forces and things like that, I'm not going to talk about that either. We are getting a very much at the fucker walk phase of things. If these guys are not attacking one to Q1 inside of this next week, uh, you know, increase. Like one of the things that was interesting is some of the guys in the Pispy side have actually seen their leaders for what they are now. Like you're starting to see this in some places. Now it's only going to be a tiny minority. Most of these people have drunk the Kool-Aid. They're completely all in, right? Gurgoons, you know, a goon blew them up years ago or something they've been butt blasted about it ever since and they hate us legitimately great that's fine whatever eat my ass uh but we are seeing a lot of these guys they were expecting a big amazing battle they wanted another m2 and hearing from gobbins and dunk and i guess the rest of them soon that uh they're all just going to go for the the pussy way 
uh, I should say that's insulting to to women. I should say just the coward way, the weak way, the pathetic way. Uh, you know, pussy can take a pounding. These guys can't. All righty. I think he knows he went overboard there because he's like, all righty. That's a little reset. Like, mm, I might have gone a little too far. <laughs> oh, man, did he go too far? Anyway, um, again, he's hyping up his guys. Uh, but I think he's trying to talk to his enemies foot soldiers say something along the lines of you're being cheated a good time maybe i don't know i think he's channeling a lot of anger really i think that's what's going on delta squads thrasher fleets definitely deserve a shout out uh can we rename piss p to the karen coalition they do behave like a bunch of fucking karens no question are we going to see adjustments to SRP because of ship prices changing, mainly for battleships and caps? Uh, yeah, we always are adjusting. All right, let me stop for a second. I'm looking at chat. No, I don't like the way it's going. We'll rewind here for a second. I just want to make sure that you're not taking messaging from this show uh, as we break open what's behind the scenes, the motivations, the emotions, and everything else, that you're not taking that as permission to go after Matani. I don't think anybody speaks as interestingly as he does, barring the content of his speech that's not necessarily great, but his style, his flair, his rhythm, uh, it's, it has an intensity that very few other people can match. Uh, and he's incredibly articulate. Uh, but I don't want anybody that watches Talking In Stations to take this as a message from us that he should be uh, scolded and attacked or anything like that. I'm calling out behavior. And if it would belong to anybody else, I would do the same. I may even give Matani a little extra room because he has a big uh, role in this game and he takes a lot of punishment for doing his role. I don't want any of that punishment coming from you guys. So chill out. You call the behavior, whatever you want. Don't go after uh, him. Not that you're doing that, but I just want to make sure you know that we're bringing you this. He's using his own words. Uh, we're just breaking them all down and uh, not to add on to any of the, the misery in the game that follows people of high profile. Are we going to see adjustments to SRP because of ship prices changing, mainly for battleships and caps? Uh, yeah, we always are adjusting our SRP. Uh, that's like a thing the re reimbursement team does automatically. Uh, or not automatically, it requires effort on their part, but we are always dynamically updating the uh, reimbursement prices. What's happening with Pappy and FRT and AOM shooting each other? Uh, I think that FRT has been, uh, I think Norris is playing this in a very savvy way. Uh, he managed to sort of half commit to the war in various ways. Uh, after FRT did their breakout uh, along with the rest of them, they got their Titan, I got all of their Titans out in the uh, breakout from M2. Uh, and then they want to go shoot AOM. And they've always wanted to go shoot AOM because it's a Serenity grudge match. All that is very true. Very true. And... Uh, except this. He says that they've kind of been half doing the war. That's true, but I'll tell you why. Because they are in the Chinese time zone, and not a lot is happening on the uh, Russian-Chinese ti time zone. So they're not really needed. Uh, if you see another big fight like you saw when the uh, Keepstars were being dropped in NPC Delve, or even M2, you will see that reinforcement come from Fraternity, I have no doubt. Um, you will see them appear again. But when uh, there's not a lot for them to do, they're not going to hang around. So they're half in, but only because their time zone isn't a necessary time zone. Right now it's US time zone and EU time zone. Uh, so I think that is, that's all that is. Um, 
you know, the entire they blew the entire fucking galaxy, the entire galaxy. And that's an attempt to paper over a lot. That's not the entire galaxy. That's not accurate. Again, the three to one, not accurate. The entire galaxy, not accurate. You have a lot of people like Dreadbomb out there. Uh, you have significant groups like Snuff. Uh, if you look at some of the uh, Volta and other groups that are smaller, even NSH, they're not involved in this war anymore. They might have uh, been in the beginning to see what was going on, but they're gone. And uh, you also see um, uh, that Imperium picked up some allies too. They picked up a French uh, alliance. They picked up um, Siberian squad. They picked up um, Red Alliance and... Uh, so it's it's not the entire galaxy against the Imperium. Yes, they are outnumbered, two to one, as we said before, most of the time. Uh, maybe a little less than that, maybe a little more. Uh, it's, uh, so uh, keep that in perspective. It's a, it's a way of saying we're the victims. Uh, we're outnumbered. They're outblobbing us. This is a criticism that a lot of people had against the Imperium that always had more people uh, historically. So it's a it's a really strange vehicle, but it just works both ways. Again, you could say it about an Imperium years ago. You could say it about non-Imperium now. You're blobbing us. It's not fair. We're the victims. A lot of long-term grudges and animus uh, that, uh, you know, it can only hold out for so long. Will we reevaluate Delve Defense after Pappy is evicted? Yeah, I mean, we're going to completely, every time we go through one of these Hell Wars, we completely adapt and change our empire into a different and what we believe to be more effective form. All right. I think that is... He glossed over that. That's really exciting, and I think that's pretty true. Uh, the, the Imperium, or Goon Swarm, their leadership has been very good about trying to adapt to new situations. And I'll tell you the truth, CCP seems to be the biggest factor in this war, maybe equal size, because they're changing what works in the game. And I think that is the big thing that the Imperium has to worry about is we may fight and we may die fighting or get close to it, but we may win. But if we win, what have we won? Because the world looks completely different now because CCP has changed the rules. That's a real big question that I don't think anybody's really talked about. Pappy on the other side of that uh, is a lot of different groups doing a lot of different things. So it's not a unified, what shall we do? Fraternity is already doing it. They have a keep star in low sec. They're into Poshman a little bit. They got some wormhole stuff going on. They're solidifying their control over a tribute, renting out some space. They are diversified. They are looking to the future. Let's go on. Just about it. Oh, any updates on the found? Yeah, sorry guys. Uh, actually, good question there, Oshi. Uh, no, at this juncture, uh, the, one of the challenges we had here is, uh, Saren Blackfist, who is our squad leader, had some family stuff come up and, uh, he, not our squad leader, our director of squads. And so he had to be less than available this last week. So some of that stuff got put on hold and I was focused primarily on the, uh, Gobbins, uh, and Dunk, uh, town hall stuff. Uh, we are going to put another cycle into that next week, but it's not our highest priority right now. So the updates there are those squads are still alive and are still a thing. Uh, and we will poke at proto-squads uh, again probably in the next week or two as long as there is time and space. But right now, in terms of time and space, I want you guys thinking about 1 to Q1.
How is the NGSA effort going? Great question. It's working really fucking well. Uh, can we get some links to join uh, NGSA here? So one of the challenges that we had in NGSA in the past is that it was a very spread out thing over a variety of regions. Uh, and in this case, in the reboot, NGSA is very concentrated because we're all here in the last constellation of Delve getting ready for this gaggle of cowards to find their balls to try to attack us in whatever method that they're going to use. And we have found that because of the density of targets and the density of gooniness that we have here in 1DQ1, that this has allowed NGSA to be far more effective. And it's really going places. So please do join it. Get involved. Uh, if you're wondering what we're talking about here, it's the National Goon Surveillance Agency. It's our automated system whereby you as a scout can get involved and find targets for uh, our fleet commanders such that they can get murdered. It is cool and good. Are we preparing for a situation in which Pappy is full of shit and they do plan to use supers in 1DQ1? Yes, Bubum, absolutely. And that is what the speech is about. I don't want any of you to take Gobbins or Dunk or any of these other lying pieces of shit. There's Dunk again. At their word. Because why would you do that? Now, maybe Gobbins genuinely believes that the coward's way out is the way to go. But Gobbins isn't the only person who's in charge in Pappy, right? There's also Vince. There's Progod. There's Vili. There's all these different people. Uh, and my hope is that if we call them cowards loudly enough and repeatedly enough, that they will find some balls somewhere and bring it. And there's the quiet part out loud. <laughs> Speaking of that, which is the, you know, the latest thing to say, but he just told you exactly what he's trying to do. And he rewards the, uh, Vince's and the pro gods that want to bring fights and he diminishes people that talk about slow and methodical let's hear that one more time uh and my hope is that if we call them cowards loudly enough and repeatedly enough that they will find some balls somewhere and bring it so we are preparing for that as well as trolling the fuck out of these pieces of shit in a way that they deserve in order to help them maybe find their balls and bring it i want their supers in 1dq1 i want to kill these motherfuckers i want to blow up more of their titans i want to blow up more of their supers and clearly they're afraid of that because, again, the price of Titans and Supers is only going to be going up, and we have more of them than they do. So we're more than willing to take the fight, and they brought it to our doorstep, so it's time for them to fuck our walk. So that's, again, prepare for the worst, prepare for real fights. I don't give a shit if these guys are cowarding out and saying that they're not going to be using Supers or that you're going to be disappointed because it's not up to Gobbins, it's not up to Dunk. Assume the worst, prepare for the worst, and if these guys go for the coward's option, well, gee, Eve isn't ending at the end of the 1DQ1 fight, win or lose. Eve continues, and we are never, ever, ever going to let any of these piss-pee cowards forget what they clapped for, what they signed up for, what they participated in. This badge of shame will be hung around their necks until they quit. We will never let them forget it because now they have finally proven what we were saying all along in the start of the casino war, which was that if they didn't have the infinite is cheat, they would be a bunch of cowardly bitches and shirk away from real combat. And that's exactly what we've seen. Validation feels good. Thank you all for coming. I will see you next week. In the meantime, we have lots more preparation to do. Let's get to work. All right, boys and girls. All right. That's the end of uh, this party. Oops. Got looped back to the beginning there. Uh, and that's the end of the fireside, which came after uh, Dunk's message. Now, you notice very clearly how Dunk gets put into the group that he's angry at. And his rhetoric has totally gone up. And again, if you weren't here earlier, you want to review uh, Dunk Dinkle's message, where he actually, um, 
uncharacteristically goes after the Imperium. Ship posters, he calls them. We don't know who he's really talking to. I think it's a little bit of everybody that is has been using this kind of rhetoric to say, you're going to go. There's nothing you can do about it. Uh, the blade penetrates the shield, that sort of thing. So it clearly, uh, I don't know if it was an intended effect, but it clearly got Imperium, Imperium leader Matani pretty mad. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> that said, he did see some, say some interesting things about their strategy. I noticed in this fireside how much he actually talked about, I mean, there's a lot of anger and, uh, you know, I don't even know what to call it. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of trash talk. There was a lot of review history. We've been here before we've won, right? Don't think about today. Think about history where we won because we're kind of losing today. And then he also talked about pragmatic stuff. Uh, what kind of ships, what, what you expect to see. Uh, but more importantly, he sets up for the future, which is interesting because he's already putting the seeds down for a backup plan, which is asset safety. This is how it works. We have you covered. Don't worry about it. And he goes on at the very end here to say, like, if we die, we'll come back to life and we'll kill these guys through, you know, you know, murderous rampage over time. So he's already setting that up in case there's a loss here. And I think if you take that as a whole, he's doing multiple things at once. He's trying to prepare his guys for battle. He's trying to get a set piece fight where he might possibly win because the slow steamroller is more effective and he doesn't want to face that. He wants to face a bigger fight and he's trying to prepare for the future so that it's not a big surprise afterwards. All right. Well, that was a marathon. We had one bad crash in the middle of it, but we survived that. I think my computer overheated at the rhetoric that was coming out of the Imperium side and just said no more and uh, turned off. Uh, and also my most embarrassing uh, muterol moment uh, where I did a giant uh, recap uh, for a few minutes that nobody heard except me. It was really good. I'll just tell you that. Okay, but that's all that we have today. And I'm kind of tired. But I want to thank you guys for hanging out with me. I actually felt like we were in it together, which was great. It's a great feeling. And uh, I want to thank you guys for hanging around. And uh, we will see you tomorrow uh, on Talking in Stations.